Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here. Got Lavender Gooms here. Got DJ Mark here. Happy New Year to you all. It is January 1st, 2018. Um, starting off with the important shit. A new champion has been crowned in our picks, in our uh, It's M Amazing picks, whatever I'm calling it. I've been dethroned. And Mark is the new champion, picking roughly 58% of fights correctly. All right. It's right. I'll take it. <laughs> Mark will take it. It's the new champ, folks. If I had a belt, he would, he'd have it now, but we have no belt. So, uh, yeah. I think, all in our way, heads. I think the way Bobby phrased it to me is Mark has stayed consistent. He, more so, Bobby and I just dropped off massively. So did Mike. The year <laughs> picking with my heart was very foolish. Don't listen I to was, your heart. Just, you know what? If, if someone's a favorite, they're a favorite for a reason. All right. <laughs> just roll with it. Um, all right, kids, we're going to talk about UFC 219, which was some hot garbage, which I don't know if everybody else felt that way. That was at least the feeling in um in our uh, apartment here. Um, there was a couple good moments, notably probably the last two fights being okay, you know, um, in that I guess they were relevant and fun to watch one man get crushed. But beyond that, kind of shitty. Um, the one finish on the main card, the UFC app failed during, so we didn't even get to see that, which we I'm not sure how much we were paying attention, to be honest, before that. Um we're going to talk about that card, um, the implications, which there are minimal at best. Um, and then uh, we're going to get into the awards, folks. It is the We're going to give out our 2017 awards for uh, best fight, best fighter, best event, all that jazz. Um, some categories which made more sense last year and this year. You're like, fuck, man, really? That's the best we got? That's the best we got. Um, do a little memoirs of a fight fan and then uh, stuff we like. Um, so everybody, um, if you somehow are still hungover. Enjoy our dulcet tones. Um, let's get it. Let's get it. Uh, let's get into it. Marcus, Chris Cyborg went out there, um, chased Holly home around the octagon, got hit a bunch herself, quite frankly, but still pretty one-sided fight for the featherweight champion. Yeah, uh, I think most surprisingly in this fight was hearing the scorecard because I know when we were watching the fight, I I honestly didn't really have Holly winning any rounds personally. Um, only watched the fight once, so you know maybe on you know multiple views we might notice a few things in these rounds where maybe Holly kind of got the edge. Um, but yeah, I thought Chris Cyborg, you know, the, the fight played out mostly how I kind of thought it would. Um, it being highly competitive, um, Cyborg style kind of feeding into what Holly Holm is good at. But ultimately, um, you know, Holly just didn't have the punching power to negate Cyborg's pressure and her counter punching. Uh, Holly consistently was getting, you know, pressured into um, getting pressured against the cage, walking into Cyborg's power hand, her right. And often um, Chris Cyborg would counter Holly's left straight with her own right hook. Um, and it, it seemed to work well. I think throughout the fight, Chris Cyborg consistently scored the more power punches. Um, I think she also had a higher output. She was pressuring more often. The the few things I was, um, you know, really impressed with Holly was, you know, one, her, her counter punching is pretty good and she's, she does much better when the girls kind of come at her like uh, Cyborg did. It created opportunities for her to get some strikes off. 
mo most impressive though was with how Holly was able to control the clinch against the cage. Um, she was able to get double underhooks and basically stall out Chris Cyborg. And I think maybe that is what won her some of these rounds is the stand-up exchanges were somewhat close with, I mean, personally, like I said, I thought Chris won most of those and did more damage, but Holly did a good job controlling the clinch in the cage. Um, for my criticism, she didn't ultimately do much with the position that she was able to establish. She had double underhooks, a, a tight waist lock, and really just leaned on her until the referee broke him up or Chris Cyborg would finally start to um, pumble in and try to get an underhook and be able to, to you know move herself off the cage. Or a lot of times, Holly would just give up the position and back up and go back to striking. Um, I think if she put in some more time wrestling off the clinch against the cage and maybe would have the ability to take Chris down, that could kind of change the thing. But I don't think Holly really has any interest in ground fighting with Chris Cyborg, which we mentioned last week. I felt could have been a big boon for Chris if she wanted to take Holly down and do some ground and pound. We, we know Holly's not the strongest uh, fighter off her back, so I think that could have been something she utilized. But they were more than willing to uh, you know, stand and bang, and I think consistently – while Chris definitely ate some shots uh, coming in and Holly, you know, putting on some pressure here and there, I think Cyborg landed the more devastating shots throughout. And I, I felt it was a pretty clear-cut decision for her. Um, but it was an exciting fight. You know, I, I felt it kind of lived up to my expectations. Um, and it was Yeah, honestly, it was, Marcus, not the guy, but it was like, it was, it, we, 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 going into it, I'm like, I need this to, like, be just a crushing ass-whooping or let's see some stuff. And I just didn't want it to be boring, and I wasn't bored. I thought it was, you know, pretty compelling matchup all the way through it. Yeah, likewise. Um, I thought it was, and and I think when we kind of discuss this division and you know how it's very thin, there's not a lot of challengers. Um, I'm not going to be disappointed if they want to throw this one back. You know, have Holly and Chris, you know, try again. I, I don't think the outcome will change much, right? Uh, uh, but it was a competitive fight and it was entertaining to watch. And with a division that doesn't have a lot of name value right now, um, we really don't know what they're going to do with Chris yeah. Cyborg going forward. Or who yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good question, man. It's um, Stefan. I mean. Nice win and all. She got herself as a defense of her defense of the title there, um, but I don't want to say who gives a shit. But what are we? Where are we going? Yeah, I, I mentioned uh, off air a little earlier. I, I when I was watching the post fight show with Ariel, I was a little surprised at like, and not to be like the Debbie Downer, but he he seemed really high on like Cyborg being announced to the world. But I think that's the exact question. Where do we go from here? Because Holly Holm was the most compelling matchup there really was to make with her from here. You know, um, Nunez, she had, she has some type of potential, but so far it doesn't seem like she's really crossed over. And also she seems not like she really wants that fight either. You know, so what he's supposed to do is like Megan Anderson, she's there, but that's for the hardcores. There's no, what's the, I don't know how you sell Megan Anderson to the general public. They don't know. Yeah, Holly I mean Holm was still the person who beat Ronda. She still had that, you know, um, that sway. So. It's yeah, I'm having a hard time believing this whole thing where she's where Cyborg is a pay per view star because there's never been any indication that she is. Uh, Mike, we've seen Cyborg, uh, we've seen Holly move some units, but you know it was with Ronda and as the co-main event to uh, Nate and Connor. I mean, she did well on TV by herself, but do we do we do you think any you think people saw this shit? Like, were people, you know, were people? Do you think the general public was into this at all? I think on some level it doesn't matter because. Holly lost, and at least in the moment, they can't tell themselves, oh, we're going to keep pumping Holly. They got to do whatever they can to try to pump up Cyborg in any way they can. Well, that's what I mean. Do you think people think... reality in the UFC now that there aren't many pay-per-view stars, so maybe they're starting to realize that 
even if there isn't much of a 145 division and Cyborg hasn't had a history of selling in the past, maybe part of it is because they haven't given her a big push. Maybe part of it is some other reasons. So maybe they're trying a new tact for the new year where they're hyping up their actual stars and maybe they're trying to go with a strategy of if we say this person is great and we say this person's a star and we say this enough to the public, maybe we'll th- they'll get more pay per view buys. As maybe result. if we maybe maybe if we just stop shitting on our champions. Essentially, well, I, I think I think really what we'll have to look at is information will get down the line, right? We really need to see how this pay per view did because this is this is Chris's first credible shot at pay per view, right? She has an opponent that is extremely popular. I, I consider Holly Holm to be a very popular female fighter you know not in the upper echelon of ronda but i, I think maybe in the realm of like a jojo you know i think as many people know holly Holm no I, 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 th- I think you're underselling her even man i think she's top two or not, three probably i'm sorry not jojo i meant uh joanna champion okay. but um yeah uh, I, in that realm where she i think she's highly regarded a lot of people know her and i think a lot of people like her so i think this is chris cyborg's best shot and once we get the results of you know and we don't really know the pay-per-view numbers you know down to a t but once we kind of get a feel for what the buy rate was if you know, and this is this is a pay per view time. They usually have an end of the year card that usually does pretty well. So we can also compare this card and how it does pay per view wise with other you know New Year's cards. We have to also factor in this card wasn't quite as strong as some of those other year end cards, which sometimes have been really fantastic. This was a, a pretty strong card, but not something that was kind of like blowing our minds with multiple title shots. Um, so I think you just have to look and, and see how it does. But I think this is going to get more people familiar with Chris Cyborg because as we know Chris Cyborg because we're hardcore fans we've seen her demolish girls and you know own this division forever um a lot of people don't really know her that well and I think a lot of people know Holly Holm and they see how these two fight and now next time Chris fights there might be a larger fan base that recognizes that name at least the cyborg aspect that was like oh that's the girl I fought Holly right Maybe that was an interesting fight. Maybe they're interested in this next fight. You know, we'll have to see how she does going forward. But there's a lot of factors in play. And I don't think you can necessarily just look at these pay-per-view numbers and be like, oh, Cyborg can or can't sell, right? Because I don't know how much marketing really went into this card. The card itself wasn't that stacked. So, I mean, I think this is just a good measuring stick. But this is Cyborg's first real crack since she fought Gina Carano, where she's fighting not only another credible opponent, but someone that has some name value. So... If this thing really didn't sell, then I think you can kind of draw some conclusions. We're like, well, I don't think Cyborg's quite there yet. But um, if it sold decent, well, it'll be interesting to see what they do with her next. Is she going to headline a pay-per-view? It also, you know, it also doesn't – it might take some time, man. And No one gave two shits about Anderson Silva until he kicked Vitor Belfort in the face. He didn't sell anything until then. You know, sometimes it takes a while. And, you know, maybe she's got to find the right fight and people have to, there has to be the right, you know, gifable moment as the world we live in these days. Um, yeah, Megan Anderson. It's, just, it's, it's tough to guess that because there's no rankings for this division. We can't name five fighters in it. Like, even though, you know, like when Ronda showed up and it was the Ronda show, we still had a semblance of what the division was. So, I mean, also, um, straight up, we run a goddamn MMA podcast. And this isn't meant to put anybody on the spot, but has have people have you guys as people have all four of us honestly seen Megan Anderson fight or no? I never saw an Invicta. Look, I, I mean, I've seen I've seen a fucking highlight package, and that's it. And I'm like, all right, she's pretty big. She looks she can throw. Let's go. Let's see what happens. I mean, that's you know, yeah. They, they, that's at where we're at, point, man. They need bodies, really, and and I think that's going to be the problem, right? Is that Cyborg has already been so dominant for so long, just throwing bodies at her like we're kind of seeing with mighty mouse 
it doesn't really work, right? They need a foil that's going to challenge them. And that's why I think the most high-profile fights and maybe the most challenging fights you can throw at Cyborg is girls that are going to be underweight, right? Like throwing Amanda Nunes in there, I think, is a super well, fight, which I think would get a lot of people's attention and buys. But I don't really know if that's a fair contest, right? Like, I don't well, yeah, know. Marcus, you're, Marcus, this is the point also where, like, I think we do a lot of things on this show where we're trying to, like, book the UFC into making money. But, like, ultimately we're fans and shit, man. I want to watch something. I want to like what I'm watching. And not that I didn't enjoy this, like, fight the other night. But, like, if you give me, like, you know, who was that girl they picked up off the street, basically, to fight her that one time? Um, Lena Landsberg? No, I don't okay, remember that? Like, like I want to, like, she's, I mean, look, I look, we all like a good ass whooping every now and then, but she's a fucking champion. And I need to see, like, what I like is for a champion to beat, to beat up. If you're going to be, if they're going to, if the champion's going to be dominant, I'd like to be dominant over, like, as much look, as much as I love Mighty Mouse, I'd like to. I like these guys to be better. Yeah, you know? no, I think <laughs> I think Chris faces a similar problem that Mighty Mouse is, except it's even worse, right? Like at least way Mighty worse <laughs> as a division with a lot of guys that are are talented, right? Like Chris doesn't have that. There's not really. We also you have also have like the young guys coming up in that division at least now. We yeah, don't even have yeah. that. We have there's, we have one person. Yeah, this is. I mean, and we always knew this. We knew this going in. Right when they made this weight division, we knew that they really had only a number of shots in the chamber to use and they basically unloaded the clip now and it's like we can reload those bullets again and run them back again but really there what's the interest there and what's the new blood we can bring in like you said some of the the names that pop up like um uh megan it's like yeah they're credible and some of the hardcores will know but you know the general fan base isn't going to be isn't going to be familiar with that opponent and they can't really get excited besides now I like Cyborg. I want to see her fight more. And I, I don't really think that does well to, to sell many people to get bigger exposure on any individual fighter. Let's uh, let's get going. Yeah, we don't know. It's just, there's no rankings. We can't even tell where this thing's going. Mike, um, I want you to look at the co-main event here and tell me. We haven't seen Khabib fight in about a year. He went out there. Molly whopped um, Edson Barboza. Uh, another way to put it in Nate Diaz terms was that he melted Edson Barboza proper there. Um what are we getting, man? Do you what do you want? Are we are we gonna do you want Khabib versus Tony? Do you think do you trust Khabib? I mean, what was your takeaway from that performance overall? Well, from the performance, the performance went exactly how you expected it to go. That as soon as Khabib got his hands on Edson Barboza, it was gonna be a done deal. Uh, I watched it at a friend's house uh this time, and uh he didn't know much about MMA. And uh, so I had to explain a lot of the different fighters to him. And he saw Edson Barboza, you know, his physique. I was like, oh, man, this guy looks real impressive. And then he saw the, the wheel kick knockout of Terry Edom. And thought, oh, for sure this guy is going to win. And then he saw an Omega Medoff and thought, oh, look at this guy. He doesn't look that impressive. Oh, this Barboza guy is going to win, no doubt. And I told him, well, just wait until the Omega Medoff gets his hands on him. Then the fight's going to be over. And sure enough, you know, anytime Nomegomedov got his hands on him, the fight went to the ground and it was all she wrote. Uh, to your question, there's two different things here. There's what we want and what's going to happen. For me, I don't think Connor actually is going to come back. So I don't think we'll ever even see Connor Nomegomedov. Nothing, the stuff he put out there today, you didn't, you think he's not coming back? I slept for about five hours because I got home at four. Well, okay, basically, in a, in a summary, he come in, he came in, he shit, he shit on Khabib, shit on all the bums of the division, and then said, 
if you got to pay me what I'm worth and I'll come back. Right, so you think? Okay, so what? Yeah. Do you, you think? Though. You really think he's done? He's like 28. I think as a, I forget which boxer said it, but it's a lot harder to get up out of bed when you're in silk sheets. They all do though, man. Nobody. We have one guy leaving gracefully in the history of boxing, and that was Lennox Lewis, and he still got his ass whooped on the way out He'll the door. Come back, did Khabib gave you the blueprint for Connor coming back? He said Connor's got too much money. He needs to spend mm. some of it, and then <laughs> when he needs more money, he'll come back. That's a fair assessment too. He's gonna have no money. <laughs> but I think the fight that's gonna happen it's it's gonna be Habib versus Tony. Um, and I can't get excited for that again, man. Like, but it's not about getting excited. <laughs> it's about what we think is gonna happen. And I think if Habib, if Khabib's weight problem is under control, I know he did an interview I think yesterday or today where he talked about he never had a weight problem. He always had an injury problem, and anytime he was injured. He would have a weight problem. So okay. He said, you know he what? Said, I, says he has okay. his training method down different now. Yes, yes, I know. It's a bit of uh, it's a bit of word trickery he's trying to do there. But if we're taking him at his word, and he says that his training methods have changed just slightly, so that the injury problems are going to be a thing of the past, then one fifty five shouldn't be a problem. He's even talking about dropping yeah. down to one forty five. Yo, okay. If that's the case, if, if if his weight problems aren't an issue, then there's no way he's not going to have a dominant run at the 155 champ within a year. Yeah, yo, Steph, look, I don't have a weight problem. I have a going to the gym problem. And when I don't go to the gym, I then gain a weight. That's my strategy. That's my situation. Slash I mean, you're not going to get me to be a naysayer on Khabib. I was saying, no, okay, little, look, I was saying, he was, he's a man. But like, <laughs> I, I kind of mean at the same time is like we give him a lot of grief for these injuries and things. But I said before this fight started, I'm like, he's going to remind you that he's the best in the world. He's the man who I said would beat Connor, who, who would beat Tony. I think he beats everybody. Because the one thing I, I just want to mention about this fight, in a two-minute swing in the middle of the first round to the end of the first round, you see the look on Edson's face. Have you ever seen a man that completely shattered in a two-minute swing? Edson was look, confident. He was confident, and then he felt the wrath of the bear wrestler, Bobby. And I'm like, this is the best fighter on the planet. He told people. No, at no at no point did I say he's not going to win all these fights. I'm just like, okay, let's put it this way: Is there any scenario where that is the main event of a card? Do it's they trust, trust him enough to give it to him? Point. Yeah, it's tough to That's trust him right now. But if he makes weight in his next fight whatever it is i'm on it's i'm willing to forgive him he's has been derailed by injuries but when he's on this fighter is scary this fighter is scary so. are, are we gonna get this are we gonna get this or are we gonna get tony trying to coax connor for the next five months because tony just has tony, elbow surgery. i don't know what his uh timetable on his surgery he had is that's another wrench in all i think this. he got i think he got scoped i think they just were cleaning out the elbow i think it's one of those where you're probably out like six weeks or something like that i don't think it's i don't think it was anything like bad i, mean, I think it was more like you know, I getting, think, I'm with Mike. You know, I think like, it's Tony versus Habib next, just because it's like Nate. I think Connor is going to price him out. Pay me what I'm worth. That was that was the true danger of the Mayweather fight. There was nowhere for his paycheck to go but down from there. So if he if he if he thinks that he's set this bar and he's only should make this minimum amount going forward, that's it's like Nate. You're just going to not have fights because no one's going to pay you that for a long time. Um, so um, I kind of think that's why Tony's next as well. The rest of this card wasn't like good, in my opinion. Um, I just want to say that uh, while I guess we're in the minority here, 
all of us thought Calvillo won. Now, like, I don't know about Mike, actually. The rest of us all thought Calvillo won. It wasn't like a total robbery. I just thought she won two rounds. Um, that's really it. And then uh, Neil Magny got a win over Carlos Conn, and they tried to make it seem like a big deal, but it was so boring. And Carlos Conn hasn't fought in a year and a half. I don't think anybody gave a shit. That's really all I got. Anything anybody else want to talk about before we get to the awards? Uh, I thought that Calvia won, but when they announced the Cookie Monster as a winner, I probably had the same reaction all of you had. Eh, I could see that. Yeah, I couldn't I, see it, honestly. I, I didn't see the end of the third, but I guess like Carla got a bit of a rally at the end, and I guess that's kind of what got... Because, I mean, I, I had it even going into the third, right? I think Carla I, won the second, and Cynthia won the first. And that I third, thought, I didn't. I, I saw Cynthia doing a little bit better, and then I got food, and then she won. Hey man, yeah, like, look, we're like, I'm looking at it. Like, had... We're looking in the minority, man. I'm looking at the people voting and stuff. It looks like people thought she won. I don't know. I thought she lost. Yeah, I'd I, I have to watch it again to get like a strong opinion on it. But it's good for Carla, and it's. And I mean, like, Cynthia's a young prospect, and I think anytime we kind of write off a prospect because they get derailed early is just. You yeah, know, I mean, Rose kindness. Rose lost a few times, man. Rose lost to Carlisle. Exactly. Rose you know, lost to... Uh, there's a lot of fighters that stumble, you know, and I don't think Cynthia stumbled. I think she had a really tough test in front of her that stylistically didn't match up great with her, you know, someone who's a really strong grappler. I think my, my biggest takeaway was when they had one scramble in the second and Carla got on top. Like, Cynthia got her back and Carla scrambled and then ended up on top, and I was like, oh, I didn't think that would happen. I thought Cynthia would be the better at the, at the scramble, so... I mean, look, at she's a prospect. She definitely has things she needs to sharpen. I think especially her striking, if she gets that down to the level where it's even close to where she's at grappling, she's going to be a monster. Um, until she gets that, she's going to have probably trouble with these really strong wrestlers like Carla, who is the top echelon wrestler in the division. So, you know, I don't think there's any, you know, much loss there on, on losing to Carla. All right, let's get into this. Um, let's do the awards for 2017. First off, um, gentlemen, I see you all have this spreadsheet open. Be so kind as to write your own name next to whoever you pick after we're done announcing it. All right, everybody's got that. All right, we're gonna start from start from least important, and I really mean least important. Um, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna go in random order. Quote of the year. Um, last year, guys, this was uh, this was the uh, okay. Mark, write what yours is after we announce it. Um, this is the this year. The quote of the year is not great. There's no way. I mean, unless we missed a whole bunch of good shit. We talked about it before the show, Mike. We had like three each from Nate and Connor and Nick was in there and Derek Lewis was swinging and banging and like, I mean, this year, I, I'm going to go hanging with the boys. That's what I got. Cody Garbrandt saying hanging with the boys. I didn't even see it happen on tough. I just saw it turned into a meme and I just like, I mean, it just was sounded so stupid when he said it. So I'm going to go with hanging with the boys from Cody Garbrandt. Again, this wasn't a good year for quotes. Uh, Mike, you got an opinion here? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was the one that put that one in as a nomination. Um, uh, I forgot about it. He said it like six different times on that episode of Tough. He oh, yeah. was really hyped to be hanging with the boys. And what's even funnier is that Misha Tate was over there as well. So I mean, it wasn't just the boys, man. Fair enough. All right, Mike, you got the but, uh, same. Close, sec- um, close second is Dana White. GSP will defend the belt just because he is such a liar. See, Cormier, I like Cormier's, but the problem is Cormier's was just like an Instagram thing. He didn't say it out loud. So he just, he wrote on Instagram, he told John Jones, you have a limp dick and horrible le- leg genetics. Again, 
that would have been some like much better shit to say to his face. Um, Stefan, what do you got here? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, it's not a very specific line. It's just gonna be the innumerable amount of times that uh, John Anik had to uh, mention Assassin's Creed, and uh, it just led. It was the introduction of the three man booth. And man, it was just Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier talking about fight breakdown. Mm. Assassin's Creed coming soon to this, this, this. You know, oh, living that was... in the shadows. It was just, and it's, it's, it's for the fact that uh, Anik, the following day on MMA hour, was just like, I felt it, man. I just, I was like, oh God, I got to say Assassin's Creed right now. They're in my ear. I got to interrupt them with Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I used to take a shot for every time I said that thing, but uh, <laughs> it was painfully awkward. But I just remember I had such appreciation for John Anik for just about how candid and open he was about, like, yeah, it was awkward. Yeah, they were in my ear telling me I had to plug it. Um, and you said it, Bob. It gave you a little appreciation for Goldie. And he was smooth, at least in his, uh, advertising yeah, yeah he knew how to do the sponsorship stuff man he knew to tell me it was the corn nuts moment of the fight and shit like that that was his jam the harley davidson um, prep point um all right um so steph throw that in there throw your prediction in there please um marcus what do you got brother well like i wrote on the thing i i don't like this category at all i think this is a particularly weak year and i think we should abolish this because all these are i i cringed at each one of these and I'm going with Stefan's because I did actually find that funny. Except for um, the Mike Perry thing. Did he say he's going to need a Tetris shot and not te- Yeah, he uh, said yes. Tetris shot. He said Tetris shot, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the only reason why I would pick that. It's just cause <laughs> it's funny because he fucked up. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, when Connor and Nate are jabbing back and forth, I mean, there's some good one-liners and stuff. But I don't know if I really want to be encouraging these, like, just saying shit like – I'll get my quotes from like, you know, stand up comedians and stuff that have something poignant to say and not something about someone's limp dick or leg. Okay. Leg fairness, what I read, I read, what I read, what I read, like read. Hanging with the boys. It's like, all right, this is Dude, all just garbage. You, you, you missed out hanging with the boys. It was so bad that I was just like, oh my God, this kid's an idiot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see that. So, I mean, maybe it, the, the delivery was a little bit better, but quote of the year, it can be very cringeworthy. <laughs> Mark, um, it kind of sounds like your quote should be "Bah humbug." Jesus, wait a minute! Oh, hey, yeah. could first be. award for this. For this we for have this an award show. Say bah, bah humbug. First award of the year, Mark's like fuck this award. All right, sleeting <laughs> it off. Um, all right, let's do the next one. Let's do comeback of the year. Um, and uh, we've taken comeback to mean whatever you want it to mean. Um, I'm gonna make the case. Um, and this is we're not arguing this out. It's just you know whatever you want, whatever you want, and. Like, I took comeback to mean who came back from injury or a layoff. Last year, many of us took Dominic Cruz, I believe. Um, we probably gave it to fucking uh, Boach the year. He upcredited Yushin Okami and won the fight in the third round. This year, I'm going to go with George St. Pierre because all this, despite all the stuff that came out afterwards, um, all the stuff, all the bullshit, but man didn't fight in four years. Um, four years, right? I'm not, or is it 2013, right? I'm not, yeah, like, I feel like I get this wrong all the time. It's either, it's either November 2013 or November 2014. Either way, it's fucking bananas that he was able to do that. Um, I know Michael Bisping isn't the most, like, loved champion. or people, A lot of people thought they could beat him, blah, 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 blah. But whatever, he was the champion, man. He came in. He hadn't fought in four years. Other guy was way fucking bigger than him. Other guy was a champion. He kind of, I mean, it looked like, I mean, look, the, maybe it was the weight. Maybe it was the time off. It looked like it or maybe it was the ulcerative colitis. And that's a whole different thing to have and deal with. Um, I, at the end of that night, was thoroughly impressed with George St. Pierre, and I remain kind of in awe of a man who can come back 
And despite pulling a Randy Couture, as many people called it, coming in, picking off a champion, motherfucker didn't fight in four years. That is a long time not to fight. And he didn't need to. He's rich. He's healthy and wealthy, as he put it. But Stefan, man, women, dinosaurs, and the violence of the octagon is all this man needs. What do you think? He he went toe to toe with Captain America. We always must remember that Captain America got the super serum. GSP was just a guy who's athletic. And he's yeah. like, sure, he lost because he's of course he's going to lose to Captain America, but he still went toe to toe. He went one on one with with one of the greatest in our in our nation's history. So exactly, um, he always deserves his credit. Um, I'm actually a little down on GSP's comeback, but um, I think there's another category where he is nominated where I can probably speak to that. Um, I, I I you know it it was a great comeback. You know he he was gone. You know, I think a lot of us were picking, uh, leaning a little towards Bisping because he was so much bigger. It's one of the few fights we could talk ourselves into Bisping winning. Um, So that speaks for itself. But I just wanted to give a shout out just because he's a personal favorite in terms of a different type of comeback. I mean, it's kind of the big picture, but it was also within the fight. Um, If you've listened to our podcast, you know, we're fans of Bobby Green. Um, He's a fun personality. He's a fun character. He's an entertaining action fighter. And you know, truth be told, he fell on some hard times recently. He he was dropping fights. We were kind of wondering, was he long for the UFC? And there's always the constant story of he, the dude lives a hard life. He comes from a rough area. You know, his brother was killed in like a drive-by. He's had threats on his life. You know, he, he's always kind of living these things. And here he was, you know, coming up against Lando Venata, who's a young hotshot guy himself, has a flashy style. Um, part of me couldn't help but think that maybe Bobby Green was being served up here to kind of uh, be another notch in the feather for Lando. And he was getting lit up. We know the guy doesn't really check kicks. Uh, he'll, he'll just kind of eat them. And you see something, you saw something you don't see often in fights. And that's when a guy really comes back in the third round. You know, I thought Lando was pe- piecing him up. I thought, all right, this is, all right, Bobby, he's just, just too much going on. He, he's not long for UFC, but he came back. He started sticking tough shots. I think it was getting arguable that he was going to have a, t- I think it was arguable he had a 10-8 in that third round, because Lando slowed down quite a bit. Bobby was picking him off. He, he rocked him really good. Couldn't quite get that finish, but I mean, I think there was enough space for a 10-8 argument. And sure enough, it ended up being a majority draw. He didn't come back to win it, but he was on the brink to me in many ways. He, he was on the brink of his UFC career, whether he, he, he could keep doing this. He was on a skid. And again, a young, hot, up-and-coming prospect in Lando Venata. So... I'm just happy good for the pick. guy. I just want to give him some love. Um, Bobby Green, good to see you on the right side of things. Marcus? Uh, yeah, I think my, my pick will be for GSP, but I did want to throw some love to uh, TJ um, in his fight against Cody. Because uh, I think he, he came back from a lot of things in that fight. And I think the most obvious is that he got down hard in that first round and had to come back and, and finished him in the second. But I think besides just the pressures of the fight and actually – the fight in and of itself, there was so much negativity around TJ ever since he, he left Ultimate Fitness and Team Alpha Male and all that stuff. Um, since Connor called him a snake in the grass, I mean, dude has just been fucking ripped apart on, you know, comment sections about, you know, how this guy's no good. How And then especially after he lost the dominant cruise, everyone's like, yeah, he made a big mistake. He shouldn't have left Alpha Male, you know, following Dwayne was stupid. I think this fight... Him fighting against the adversity of getting downed hard, almost losing that fight in the first round, coming back and winning um, with, you know, the guy that he that in, in his eyes is really his mentor. Right. I mean, Dwayne uh, Bang Lugwig has really taken him under his wing and, you know, 
molded TJ into a fighter that I didn't think we'd ever get. I, I didn't think the TJ we have today is something that we would see when we saw him on the Ultimate Fighter. He has evolved past anything I would have given him credit for or could realize. Um, and I think that fight really showed a lot about what he had to come back from. And I think it was, in besides just the difficulties of the fight, of fighting someone like Cody, who, at least in my eyes, was definitely next generation level, right? He He's dominated everyone, and then he fought Dominic Cruz, who was the most dominant champion in that division, and clowned him hard. And that's why I picked against TJ in that fight. Um, even though TJ often is considered one of my boys who I'll pick against, you know, pretty much anybody. But uh, I didn't feel comfortable. I thought Cody just had the better of him. And to see TJ fight back from that, you know, negativity, the adversity of the fight itself, um, I, I think should be recommended. I'm going to sprinkle TJ throughout these awards because I noticed he wasn't mentioned a lot in it. And I think this fight in particular was something that, you know, should get recognized for what he was able to accomplish. Um, not only in the octagon, but outside of it, too. The pressure and the negativity that was surrounding his camp um, and just him as a fighter, I think, is something to be mentioned. You know, like you say, it's not mentioned a lot in here. You know, this isn't like an official list of nominees. It's whatever came to my head. No, I know, I but I just smoke. noticed, like, I don't see TJ and, in here. And I think that was an important fight. I think and, that was very important. We all had the ability to add to these nominees. We do, and I didn't. But and when I saw it, I was like, okay, I'm going to sprinkle in some TJ love here and there because I feel like that was a standout performance. And I don't think he necessarily fits into a lot of these categories with that fight. But I think comeback is one of them that he kind of fits in. I'm still going with GSP. I think it's a lot more interesting for a guy to not have fought for four years, jump back into a new weight division. And even though we all consider Bisbing to be kind of, you know, not really the best of the best in that division at that time, he was still the guy that held the belt that earned it. And GSP took that from him. So I think he definitely got to give it to him, in my eyes at least. I, Michael, do, I do give you some props on mentioning TJ because there is nothing sweeter than when people are just shitting on you all the time and talking a mess of shit and you just get your comeuppance against them. And TJ definitely did get that, you know, considering all the shit that Team Alpha Male was saying about him, you know, that that training video got released like the day before they were saying he was on the juice and during the fight they were saying tj's too slow they were literally mocking him while he was fighting too so yeah so i could definitely co-sign with maybe making him like an honorable mention but for me it's got to be gsp uh gsp i mean someone can correct me if i'm wrong but he was a pretty heavy underdog against michael bisping no one was giving him basically a shot um and this is considering that as good as Michael Bisping is, none of us really thought he, he was a great champion. Um, we all thought he was a pretty beatable champion. Uh, I didn't think... It was a pick em fight. Was it a pick em fight? Yep. Oh, fuck me. Why did I think it was, he, was, he was a heavy underdog? It probably helps your narrative. Well, <laughs> thanks for fucking shitting on me. Hey, I'm just making fun of you. It's okay. <laughs> but... You know, to take four years off and just jump back into a weight division that's not only 10 pounds heavier than what you used to fight at, but 15 pounds heavier than you used to fight at. And fighting a guy who's at least normally a pretty big 185-er and beating him and not beating him by just by decision, but actually finishing him, that's impressive on so many levels. Uh, so for me, it's a no-brainer. It's GSP. Did you change your stuff on? 
I said I was. I, I said I, I GSP is a pretty easy one. I just wanted to give love to. Bobby oh, Green, you okay. Know? He's not going to be high up well, on we have... people's thoughts, but as someone who just personally, I root for the guy. You know, it was a story I just liked from this year. Like you said, Fair it was enough. a down year, so finding positives where I can. Yeah, I stand by the statement. By the mention too, that's definitely a fight I forgot about. And when it was on here, I was like, okay, yeah, got got to show some love for that one because that was a that was a good fight. Um. Yeah, as I meant, I think I mentioned to all of you guys here where nothing worth a damn happened in this sport till July. Um, let's do knockout of the year, Mike. Let's go back to you. Give me what you think here. Um, and while I think most of us are gonna end up in one side here, we saw some for a year that wasn't great. We saw some motherfuckers get their brains rattled. <laughs> uh, for me, before December, the knockout of the year would have been Matt Brown versus Diego Sanchez. Woo, that was rough. I know at this point, everyone kind of styles on Diego Sanchez. Uh, he's the new Cliff Kingsbury. But that elbow that Matt Brown hit him with, it was one of those knockouts where for maybe a second, you're thinking we may have literally just seen the death in the octagon. Diego he went Sanchez down so went fast. Limp, like you don't <laughs> talk about, like, like you hear about. Uh, but then December rolled around. And Francis Ngannou got his Ken and Ryu on and hit Alistair Overeem with just the perfect uppercut slash dragon punch with the hard button just pressed all the way in. So Man. I think it's going to be probably across the board. I'm, I'm picking Francis Ngannou for that goddamn uppercut. I really like that analogy, by the way. Um, yeah, uh, look, I want to just put it out there because I was watching this. When Marlon Moraes, uh, fucking ended up kneeing, uh, fucking, uh, Aljamain Sterling, where I thought Aljamain was dead. He made him dab. That was, that was rough. But, man, Francis Ngannou, man, like, I'm sitting here talking to my roommate before this podcast started, where I'm just like, man, Stipe's more well rounded. Like, we know this, but, man, what if Ngannou hits him? What if he hits him? Um, yeah, Francis Ngannou, hit Alistair Overeem harder than I've ever seen another human being be hit with a punch. So that wins for me. Um, Stefan? Um, yeah, you know where I think we're all in the same boat. It's just an iconic image. Um, that snapped image of Alistair Overeem just throwing his head the way the fuck back with that fucking hook that started at his knees. Like, it's just amazing, just the sheer raw power of it. Um, but just to also mention one of the other nominees we had, you know, because we saw the highlight a ton coming off of this pay-per-view. Uh, just one of our nominees also was a Holly Holmes head kick on uh, Betch Correa. And the funny thing about that to me, one, when I just see the highlight over and over again this past week, is because when Betch gets hit, you see her down in days, and I swear to God, she's trying to wave it off herself. Like, she puts her arm in the air like, okay, I'm done after that kick. And then Holly just comes in with this molly wop of a fist, rocks Betch way the hell back. Um, and that was just a great win for Holly. Man, you know, for she, me, she man. On things. Like, she Steph, had a tough time. That, Steph, that one made me laugh because, like, when I show that highlight, I remember how bad the fight was up until that exact kick. Like, it was garbage. And then she got her. I mean, it's a little bit of that Frank Mir versus Crow Cop where nothing happened and suddenly this knee flatlines Crow Cop with like three seconds left in the fight. It's one of those moments. Yeah, by the way, UFC 119, Frank Mir got the only knockout. And because the fight was so bad, Dana White didn't give him knockout of the night. Um, Marcus, uh, are you gonna? Are we gonna have another unanimous pick here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was obvious, and I think we knew that we potentially had something going into this fight because, as much as I love the guy and I roll with him all the time, uh, I mean, Alistar is 
probably one of the best guys to knock out. He has the most famous crumples, you know, whether he's getting knocked out from uh, uh, Travis Brown or Bigfoot. Like when this dude gets his comeuppance, which is pretty much the only way he loses, um, it's usually in kind of hilarious fashion. Wasn't really anything funny about this one. He didn't do any fish legs. It wasn't like he got teed up against the cage. He just ate the cleanest, strongest punch I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, that head snapping back. The the pictures that were captured off of that. I mean, it's going to easily be a high. It's going to be on the highlight reel for you know years and years to come. Um, a lot of these other knockouts were fantastic too. There, I mean, that's one of the fun things, right? Like, there's always a plethora of really cool knockouts each year. And even the stuff we didn't mention, I'm sure there's in small organizations a lot of kooky shit happened, but nothing beats the the big boys going at it. And what uh, Francis did, not only to Alistar, but kind of putting himself on that pedestal, like I am here, I am here to take the belt. I think he made a clear message with that knockout, and I think that's why we're so excited about the future for him and Stipe to go at it. And that fight is just, it's got me. Yeah, really I, I, I watched right. I watched that trailer again again today. That trailer is awesome. Um, it's definitely they, they worth put your some time. Into that one, right? I, I can't they remember because we saw really it in the last pay per view. But yeah, it's they did it, a good job. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great card. Francis is a fantastic athlete, and he just put, you know, a real highlight on 2017 with that knockout. And um, you know, we talked about heavyweight needs new blood, and we didn't know for a while if this guy was going to, you know, be able to really hold it on his own. But every test that has been thrown at him, he's smashed so far. So. We have, you know, there's a future as a heavyweight, and that's something that, you know, we were seeing with uh, Junior Dos Anjos and Stipe, and now with Francis, it's like, okay, this is this division's kind of getting healthy, which is really cool. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get into the next one, submission of the year. Um, Stefan, I'm gonna let you lead this one off here, buddy. What do you got? Um, submission of the year. I think we're going to kind of be in the same boat as knockout of the year. Um, I'll let someone else talk about the setup with uh, Mighty Mouse. I mean, let's be honest. We've never seen that before. We've never seen a setup like that. A German suplex into a fucking arm bar like he practiced it all his life. It was amazing. Um, I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure we all have a reaction to it. Uh, so just a, it's kind of similar as I did with the comeback. I, I want to give shout out to um, we didn't have him listed here, but he came to my mind. Uh, Brian Ortega had a great year. He had a couple guillotine wins in there. And when you see it's one of those things when I saw his fight against Cub Swanson, it's something I would see when you watch Damian Maya. A lot of guys have jujitsu. A lot of guys have black belts. But then you see certain guys. They're just a different level of it. And it's just these small adjustments. It's how quickly Ortega can sink it in, arm in or not. You know, it's just a different level. And and he's one of the great guys who had a big 2017 year who's probably propelled. He set himself up to have an even bigger 2018 year. So um, it's the Mighty Mouse armbar. Let's let's be honest. Was there a, was there a good nickname that we came up? Anyone came up for that? But um, on the other side, I just wanted to give a little extra love because Ortega, his guillotines. Sure, we've seen that submission a lot of time, but. The way he does it, the way he sets it up, it's a it's a it's a step above most others. Um, I'm uh, full disclosure, you guys. This shouldn't be a surprise. Anybody listen to this podcast? I'm gonna be blowing Mighty Mouse for probably the next half an hour throughout the various awards that are coming up. So I'll just say, yeah, man, he hit a German suplex into an armbar without the guy landing. He was already in the armbar. And um, the only other time I've seen anything like this is in pro wrestling. I had to look it up in pro wrestling where Brian Danielson. Daniel Bryan, um, yeah, I'm a fucking, yeah, I went fucking smart mark with it. Um, yeah, Brian Danielson hit the Danielson special, which was like a double underhook thing into an armbar. That, 
this is amazing that he did it in a fight. German suplex into an armbar. So, yeah, it's not even a question for me. Uh, Marcus? Yeah, a lot like Knockout, there's one that really stands head and shoulders above the rest, and it was easily Mighty Mouse's, uh, you know, German suplex into the armbar. And a lot like Knockout, I'm sure there's, a, and, and like Stefan mentioned, I'm sure there's a lot of really slick submissions out there, but nothing that was as high profile and as flashy and something that I hadn't seen before, right? I think a lot of times when we pick, you know, submission of the year, a lot of times it goes to unique submissions that we don't often see, whether it's the... Um, uh, the twister, or you know, some stuff that's just kind of bizarre and out. It there. was a thing that um, the the what uh, jo- Rose. not jo- no, I think Bar- by Rose. That was no, not one. that. The one where Barnett got choked out by the big by Ben Rothwell with that go go choke thing. I think a lot of us oh, gave it. Remember yeah, that? We're like, yeah, go go. got him with that like ten finger choke. Yeah, go go choke thing. You got him with Kimura's. I mean, the stuff that's kind of out there that you don't see. I think usually gets my nod. And this... well, well, Mike has one listed here also. I think Mike, you wrote this also. I mean, I don't think you're, I'm not sure this is your pick, but you wanted to bring mention to something. Uh, Brett Johns and Joe Soto what happened in their fight, right? Yeah, uh, Brett Johns uh, hit Joe Soto with a calf slicer that was really slick and really cool to look at. But uh, and uh, Shevchenko, uh, you know, no one was expecting her to win on the ground against Juliana Lima and. You know, got her with an armbar. You know, armbar is pretty pedestrian, but no one is expecting the outcome to go that way. But, you know, much like the rest of you said, there was one submission that was head, shoulders, and then, you know, another ladder above that, above everything else. And that was Mighty Mouse. Right on. Um, so unanimous. We have a couple of unanimous ones. We normally differ a little bit more, guys. Maybe because this year sucked. <laughs> It's pretty honest. Um, this one, we, I think we might see a little bit of a differentiation here among us. Um, performance of the year. Um, overall, just, you know, can mean whatever. Who in the, whatever they did in the fight, the overall performance impressed you the most. Um, I'm going to go, um, with, um, Max Holloway against Jose Aldo in the second fight because I didn't catch this. And then it was later pointed out to me and it kind of blows my mind that he did this. Where Max Holloway fought Jose Aldo twice this year. I believe the first time was in April at UFC 210, I think. And then uh, they fought again at UFC 218. If you fight, watch the way they fought at UFC 210. Max went, circled, in, uh, he circled in one direction, okay, in that fight. And then this fight at UFC 218, a fight he took on like two weeks, three weeks notice or so, against a totally different opponent than who he was expecting. He fought Jose Aldo the same way. But in reverse, he attacked the same areas except going the opposite direction. So the things he was doing with his right arm, he was doing with his left arm in this fight. And Luke Thomas caught this, and that's mind-blowing to me that he was able to do this on short notice. So, and I think Max Holloway is really, really special. And I hope I, people are starting to give him the attention he deserves. So, so much so that I think they're going to book UFC Hawaii. And if he doesn't go out there and fight the way he does in this one, that's not happening. So I was thoroughly and completely impressed by Max Holloway in this fight. Um, Stefan? Um, I'm going to give props to Mark because um, he, an earlier fight he mentioned is what swayed my uh, thoughts on this one. I'm going to give it to TJ. Um, for everything Mark said, just the setup, the going into this fight, because... Uh, while I love Max Holloway, the difference that going into that fight is in both Aldo cases, I was sure Holloway was going to win. I had full confidence, no doubt, younger, faster. 
more durable, less wear, all of it. TJ, I was certain was going to get smoked. So for him to do that, and I, I you know, I made the joke like I mentioned Fire Emblem this game. I like it's we at Bantamweight we have the weapon triangle, and it's uh they just each cancel each other out. It's a rock paper scissors thing situation. Um, that was a hell of a fight from everything he had to come back to, all the noise surrounding it, and then um yeah, it was just a crazy moment that when Raptor knocks him out and he just screams in a uh, Cody's face like hell TJ you know like. I think it was one time Chris Paul said it about Steph Curry, about like how soon they forget, you know, about how someone who was great. And yeah, I kind of forgot about TJ. You know, I, I kind of wrote him off. Well, also, bit, like he had that, so much. Mark, Mark talked about it also. He had so much pressure on him. And all he came of it through. was there, you know. And, and he was getting his ass whooped. He was losing. He didn't eke out a close decision. He he ate a big shot where he might have been fit, close to getting finished. That the I, I I forgot about that one to be honest and yeah TJ he he reminded us that hey I'm here too so um yeah he, he I didn't see it coming I did not see it coming all right um Mike what do you got here uh TJ and Garbrandt also gave us I think one of the more iconic photos of 2017 and also made us all feel less like men and made us want to go do some bench press curls or whatever. And uh, so, but is that your pick? No, no, no. I just wanted to comment okay. on that incredible Hulk picture that uh, that TJ gave us when he was yelling in Garbrandt's uh, still concussed face. Uh, but for me, it's gonna be Max Holloway and Jose Aldo. I I think Demetrius Johnson at this point, um, he's much like Bill Belichick in um, in football, in that. If they were being very uh, objective in football, he would win coach of the year every year because he does a masterful performance every year coaching. Yeah, I almost gave this to him right now, by the way. You're right. <laughs> but, you know, at this point, we're just used to Demetrius Johnson doing Demetrius Johnson things. So, sadly, he, he gets demerits for me on that point, you know, because I think he could basically win i think almost any year with any of his given performances in a given year but i'm giving it a max holloway because in his first fight against jose aldo um he won but you could have said you know he was maybe losing the first round or it was even in the first two rounds and then he came on in the third but in the second fight it was max holloway the whole way through um, Jose Aldo, even though you know he has some wear and tear on him, he's still one of the top featherweights in the world. Um, if he's not the the second best, he's you know the the third best. So for Max Holloway still to do that to Jose Aldo, it's still a sight to behold. And you're picking the second fight, right? Though, yeah, the second. Clear. Fight. Yeah, the second. All fight. right. So. For me, I'm going to be really interested and really excited to see Max Holloway's next fight. Um, Man, I thought I was going to be alone with that one. No, no, I, mm -hmm. I was, I was leaning towards Jessica Andrade versus Claudia Gadelia because, as you guys all know, Gadelia is my girl. Uh, and I saw that fight live, and I thought that Gadelia had a really good shot of winning. Um, you know, she, uh, she puts on a lot of weight as well, so she's a really big one uh, fifteener as well. But Jessica Andraz just ran through her. And even with that said, I still thought that Max Holloway's performance was much more impressive, considering also it was in a championship fight. 
as well. I think the only reason title defense. <laughs> I think the only reason I didn't give it to Mighty Mouse is because I was gonna. I already gave. We already gave him the sub one. Um, Marcus, what do you got here, buddy? Yeah, when I look at a performance of the year, I usually lean towards fights where um, the fighter performed better than my expectations of what they were capable of. And that's why I'm giving it to um, Jessica Andrade over Claudia. Because going into that fight, I think we all thought for a long time, Claudia is basically the number two. She's the best in this division that just can't get past uh, Joanna Champion. And Jessica Andrade was another tough girl in that division who's right up there. But the way they both performed against um, Joanna, I mean, Jessica just seemed like the lesser of the two. And I think going into this fight, we all picked Claudia because she seemed to be the more well-rounded, better fighter than Jessica. And that proved not to be the case, right? And that fight really showed me, you know, new levels in Jessica's ability to control the action and, uh, you know, basically control the chaos in the octagon. Claudia is extremely well-rounded and she just couldn't really do anything against uh, Jessica. Um, When it comes to the Max Holloway, um, Jose Aldo, it was a completely uh impressive performance i think both times going into the second time though it's kind of like what steph said i already had the expectation that max is just better than jose aldo and i didn't think i mean i think he performs a lot better on the second fight but i mean jose came in there with short notice and stuff like that so the performance was credible i just my expectations were already there and he met them whereas with jessica i didn't think she was going to be able to get through claudia and like mike said she kind of just steamrolled her so that really impressed me the most um TJ and Cody, I always want to show love to, but it was definitely not like a flawless performance against uh, Cody, right? Like he definitely had to, you know, fight some adversity. He made some mistakes, but he corrected those and came, you know, and and really showed all of his skills in the second round, being able to, you know, uh, put the fight away. But yeah, just overall, I was just more impressed with Jessica. I just didn't think she was going to win that fight. I knew it'd be a tough fight, but she just totally blew my expectations. So I got to give her the nod on that. Um. No one, I thought one of, I didn't list it beforehand, and maybe that's why I didn't get picked, but no one's going to pick Rose going out there and just whooping Joanna's ass. It wasn't even close. It wasn't was much surprised. of, like, seeing a lot of her skill set. She just caught her early in hey one. Man, she, hey, man, she, she killed the king. The king couldn't do she anything, did. or the queen. She did, but it's just like when Bisbing beat Luke, and I think, and there's differences there, but, like, I didn't think that was, like, a fantastic performance. I just think they both capitalized on minuscule opportunities they had to finish that fight but for me performance is i really got to see this fighter put it on for multiple rounds and what they were able to accomplish there consistently against a high caliber opponent impressed me um rose's win i think she'll get a nod in another you know category here but uh it, it wasn't like her performance blew me out of the water i knew she was tough she just landed a good shot so that's why i didn't really think she fit in performance quite as well as some other categories um all right, let's do, I guess, um, moment of the year, which is vague as fucking possible. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. My pick right now is when um, it's when George St. Pierre won the middleweight title. I talked about, I already gave my reasons earlier why it was comeback of the year. That was also the moment they put the belt around him. I just was just in awe of this man. He blows my mind how good he is. And his, and his perseverance and his ability to come back after four years and do that. So I gave my reasons already. That's mine. Um, Stefan, what do you got? Um, I'm going to go for the ridiculous and the absurd. In the year, I made a lot of emotional picks. And I made a very emotional pick in this fight. It was the Mayweather fucking McGregor show. 
what else? What other story was there from this this year? That was everything because we wouldn't talk about it because it was too ridiculous. This isn't real. We're not going to acknowledge this. We're not going to talk about it. And it was fucking real. And it sold a lot of pay-per-views because people like us are marks. I am a mark for an interesting story. And that's what it was. And it's been all terrible after, in my opinion. It's kind of ruined McGregor. And like I don't know what his future holds now. But in terms of a singular spectacle, that shit was nuts. We got our money back. We don't even count as a buy. Uh, Mark, what do you got? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I threw uh, the McMay fight up there because I, I, I do feel like it was the moment, right? Like it was that fight in and of itself was almost a black hole in this year. And it was fascinating leading up to it. And I think the damage and repercussions after we're still feeling to this day. I think it's easily the thing that took, you know, when you when you look at like headlines throughout the year, like, that fight just took over for like two months. It just seemed like, and then even leading up, I mean, we were talking about it last year and it's all the stuff like uh, Stefan mentioned too, is like for so many podcasts, you know, here we would talk about how it's never going to happen. UFC won't let it happen. A lot of things have changed since they first started talking about it to when it actually came to fruition. I think a, a big part of it was ownership of the UFC changing hands that kind of allowed this to happen. But it's just, it's a, it was a spectacle in sports that you really don't ever get to see in any other sport, right? Combat sports is really the only place that you're going to get athletes from one sport into another and be able to compete and make it compelling enough that you kind of maybe believe, like, can Connor do something here? Maybe. I mean, we all kind of bought into the fact that he might be able to do something against Floyd, right? I think there's enough narratives there to get us interested. And just the freak show aspect of itself was interesting in and of itself, you know? I mean, Mar Marcus, there was a, I was, they were, there was a point where they were walking out and we were all watching it here. I mean, well, not Mike, but the rest of us, we were watching here and I turned to you guys and I said, guys, this is really happening. And like, I was like, I wasn't just saying that. Like, I'm like, I, I kind of couldn't believe that it happened. It's insane. So, yeah. It's completely it's insane. It, is Even, it already happened. And I'm sitting here like, I really fucking happened. It's almost like Trump being president. Yeah. We're like, wait, we got to live in this reality every day. But like, we were walking home after Trump got elected. I remember turning to my roommate. I'm like, did that really happen? And he's like, I think so. That was the same thing. Yeah, the same thing with just, this fight almost. <laughs> it's just, it's a completely unreal thing that we probably won't ever see again. I can't imagine that to get another crossover like this again because i don't know if boxing has a guy that will be as popular as floyd right or even mma i mean we might get another superstar like connor but to have that person be so willing to jump into another sport to you know kind of put their ego on the line i mean really for big bucks which may, i think makes it ultimately a lot easier to kind of to kind of make that jump but yeah it was just it was pure spectacle and uh, it was fantastic. And the fight itself kind of, you know, I, I was entertained by the fight. I was interested in it. I thought Connor looked good in the beginning. And then you saw Mayweather turned up. You're like, oh, no, this is not going to turn the way out you thought Connor, uh, Connor thought it was. So, yeah, I think that was really, I think when you look back at 2017 in combat sports, that's the thing that's going to stick out like a sore thumb. I think GSP winning is awesome. Mighty Mouse breaking the, the record on a, a different year. These would be easy moment of the years, but you can't deny Connor and uh, Mayweather. It's just too big, too much of a spectacle. Mar uh, Mar Mike, what do you got here? Uh, Bobby, your moment was very beautiful, um, resplendent, and dignified. But everybody loves when the circus comes to town. And I'm happy <laughs> that you guys nominated Mac May because I'd kind of completely forgotten about that as a moment. But as soon as I locked saw it out of your mind, <laughs> I thought, oh, for sure, it's that. And if I may add a, a 
couple quick um, last-minute quotes of the year to see if any of these uh, sway you on your uh, pick for that. Uh, why do you? Oh, have when I got a, real racist. Why do you got homophobic? Which part? You can't fucking read. <laughs> and uh, also, um, I'm black from the waist down. Oh God! Now I forget. He really said that. Okay. <laughs> um, um, Mike. Um, give me your opinion here, because quite frankly, I want. I was gonna say it. I was gonna lead this one off, but my reason for my pick is because of something you said. So you convinced me of it. So fight of the year. What do you got? <laughs> uh, hold on. You remember what you what said? There. Yeah, you remember what you said. <laughs> Wait, I said it today? No, a month ago. Like month earlier this month actually. You expect me to remember something I said about I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying remember it. I'm just saying my reason is based on something you said. You convinced me of this, even though you might go the other way now. Oh. Well, <laughs> um the fight I'm gonna pick is gonna be Justin Gaethje versus Michael Johnson. Ding uh, ding ding. Well, for me, I'm picking that fight rather than the Eddie Alvarez Justin Gaethje fight, which I think easily it could have been that one as well. But with Justin Gaethje, Michael Johnson fight, I mean, the man was almost knocked out so clearly at the beginning of the fight, and somehow he comes back and wins the fight. It was pandemonium from start to finish. Like, there are some fights that maybe halfway through, they'll start just swinging and banging at each other. But this one was from start to finish. What the fuck is going on? And Mike, literally, like we had this conversation after Eddie Alvarez <laughs> and uh, Gaethje fought, and we—I was—I'm not sure. I think Steph might have missed that week. I think I think Steph, you were in Asia when this we did this episode where Mike said I like the Michael Johnson one more because one guy almost won, then the other guy won. I'm like, shit, man, I I like that one more too for that reason. <laughs> I got the same thing he does. Honestly, for me, I went into this one. I'm like, all right, which Justin Gaethje fight? What Gaethje fight was my fight of the year? Okay, I'm going with that one. So yeah, I got the same thing you do, Mike. Um, Stefan, what do you got? Um, you kind of surprised me that both of you are on that end because that was my lean. And it's for that reason. It was back and forth. Eddie and Justin was great, but Eddie was winning the whole thing. There was no, like, I was, I mean, I was, I, you know, that that more so speaks as like a performance of the year nominee, and he probably deserved it for Eddie. That's one of the yeah, best. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't talk about that. That was great. That's one of the best Eddie's ever looked. He he was moving well. He was working the body well. He ate a lot of leg kicks. And that was kind of the one thing Justin was doing really well. But Eddie kind of seemed to have every round in that. But this one was Michael Johnson was winning. And I remember the analysis. I said, I think you guys are sleeping on Michael Johnson because he's tough early. He's going to maybe hurt him. He has good hand speed early. He tends to fade late. And that's exactly how it played out. Um, Yeah, it was. There's nothing wrong with picking Alvarez and Gaethje whatsoever. But I think it's the fact that Michael Johnson almost had a chance in that fight more than Justin almost had a chance against Eddie. Uh, Marcus, what do you got, brother? Yeah, uh, I'm with you guys. Uh, I, I loved really? the Alvarez okay. fight as well. Um, I, I I think there was a lot of tension in that fight. It's just not as noticeable, right? Like a dude eating leg kicks isn't nearly as entertaining or you, you can't get the visual tell on how damaged a guy is when he's eating low kicks as you can when he gets rocked or something, right? Dude gets rocked in the dome. His legs start wobbling. He starts stumbling backwards. It's extremely clear. You don't have to be a fight fan to understand that guy got punched in the face. Now look at him stumble around. That dude's seriously hurt. He's on the verge of potentially losing. Marcus, one second. Uh, I got a clicking noise happening. Let's try to 
whatever that is. Sorry, stop it. Sorry, go ahead, Marcus. Okay, so um, yeah, I just think there's different. I mean, there was a lot of tension in the Eddie Alvarez fight, but it's not as noticeable to you know maybe someone who isn't as you know inept in like how much damage a body punch does and how much of a poker face you have to put on. I think the Gaethje Johnson fight was just more of your pure back and forth gut reaction kind of fight, and I like that fight. Um, I, I feel like it was a little. I mean, that fight was awesome but i think overall the year we didn't have a lot of those like back and forth back and forth barn burners at least not like with kind of like the main card kind of guys i'm sure there was a lot of barn burners when you look at prelims and other organizations outside the ufc i'm sure there's probably a fight that's even better than gaethje johnson well do you know there's also marcus you got to think of the category like like um a lot of like things get elevated based on context we're sure, like yeah. because of the moment and stuff we're like it's a, that's a that's almost a factor in addition to the what actually yeah, happened. Yeah. And it's almost like, I mean, I almost want to say, like, my favorite heavyweight fight of the year, like, might have been in Ganu and Overeem because it was the most stressful two minutes I think I've experienced all year. Just as I was sitting there like, this is this is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. my God. No, and in, in years <laughs> past, we have talked about, you know, the different criteria that, you know, we all evaluate. And for me, it was always the purity of the fight. You know, I mean, having a title fight and having more rounds and being a main event. I think you, I, I do add a little bit more to that, but it's just the aesthetics of the fight is really what's most important to me. Um, and I, I think the Gaethje-Johnson fight just had more of that, right? We saw both guys really push to the limits, and we just saw Gaethje harded out a little bit more, um, more so and in a more dramatic fashion than we saw against Eddie. Um, and then, you know, the other fight we had nominated was Jessica Andrade and Claudia. And I think it was a great performance, hence why I gave it to Jessica for the performance aspect. The fight itself didn't have that back and forth. It didn't have that competitiveness where at any point I thought Jessica was really had to fight adversity and get that win from the jaws of defeat. She just kind of steamrolled her. So, yeah, I think, you know, it was a great performance for uh, Justin. It was, you know, his launch party in the UFC and how he followed up with Eddie, too. I mean, we easily have a start. Well, you know what? We, we have one more nominee that we didn't talk about. We should have put it up there was Yancey Medeiros and Alex Oliveira because that was on the oh, same card as and, and the same the card as Eddie like, with Justin. That I was awesome. There's, there's probably got to be like two or three more that kind of fit in that category that just weren't. Really high-profile fights, so maybe we saw them, maybe we didn't see them. Um, but, you know, from stuff that really stood out from over the year, I think the list we have here um, is credible. It's just like, I know in the past we've had years where it's like uh, John Jones and Gustafson, but it was also Bigfoot and Mark Hunt. And we that saw, was the same fucking year, man. That yeah, was and we, we had a couple <laughs> years where there's a couple really strong nominees. And really, like you said, Bobby, when it came to this one, I was like, which of the we two had like three fights did you think were, were was more entertaining? And I think the Johnson fight was more entertaining. They were both fantastic. This dude's easily a star. You know, hopefully he can stick around for a while because he does tend to take a lot of damage. But man, what a fun guy to watch. Um, Stu card of the year or event of the year card of the year. Um, for me personally, this was a two horse race between. I I was saying nothing worth a damn happened for the first half of this year. I kind of mean this. UFC 217, UFC 218 were the two that matter to me. A quick refresher, UFC 217 had GSB Bisping, TJ Cody, Rose, Joanna, um, and uh, not a bad undercard either, quite frankly. K, uh, OSP, Cody, no, nothing else you're going to remember, though, beyond that, really. UFC 218 had our uh, second place fight of the year, probably, for most people. Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, had Yancy Medeiros, Alex Oliveira, had Paul Felder diving into Charles, Charles Oliveira's guard, had Holloway and Aldo, and had... Inganu versus Overeem. Um, me personally, if every fight was worth the same on a card, UFC 218 would win. And this is just my own. All these are our own scoring criteria, of course. But for me, 
the main event weighs very heavily on a card. And while I have Max Holloway versus Jose Aldo as my performance of the year, um, I had a like, I was still like kind of amped at the end of like, I, when I'm still amped after a card is over, that's when I know it was like, that was awesome. And like UFC 217 for me, I was still like real jazzed about it. Even when the card was over and you guys had left my house and all that stuff and I was cleaning up, I was like, man, that was, that was so awesome. We had three champions changed. All three changed right there. We have TJ winning the belt, uh, uh, Rose winning the belt. And GSP winning the belts. So for me, UFC 217. Um, Mike, what do you got? Yeah, for me, it's those reasons as well. Um, it's normally a special night when there's one new champion in an event. When there's three new champions in an event, you know, when the first one happens, you're still recovering from that when the next fight happens. Then another champion happens, and you're recovering from that. Like, holy shit, how often do you see two new champions in a given night? And then another champion. I think that was the first time that had ever happened in UFC oh, history. Yeah. Uh, and they were all really solid fights. They were all really good fights. It was just one after another. I, I don't honestly. I don't know how many times two. I don't know how many times two new champion has happened. Like I remember, like Connor won the belt the same night Rockhold knocked out Weidman, but like. Be, be, I mean, most of the time, someone's holding on to their belt. <laughs> so for me, for many of the same reasons, uh, 217 is uh, is the card I'm going to go with. Part of it is also I think this was maybe a, a down year for the UFC, uh, to put it um, politely. Uh, there weren't many events that I think really stuck out for me in particular. I don't yeah, know the fourth quarter was good. The fourth quarter was good. The rest of it was not so much. Yeah, and you know, I I, I think this this event uh, would stand up pretty well, maybe in the annals of time, uh, eventually. But and when it comes to this year, um, there wasn't much competition for it. But two seventeen was the event for me, mainly for the the historical reasons. Um, Steph, what do you got? Um, here, here. I think this is a pretty open and shut case. Um, but just to your earlier point about, you know, nothing ha- worth a damn happened earlier on. I would say arguably the number two event was UFC 218. So they came on strong late. Um, 218, yep. uh, Holloway Aldo 2, that was a great fight. Um, but it has, it had two fight of the year candidates on it, whether, though they didn't win it for us, that Madero's fight and the uh, aforementioned uh, Gaethje Alvarez fight, the Naganu knockout. Um, yeah, it, w- it was a good end to the year, but a lot, a lot really didn't happen early on marcus what do you got brother yeah um i'm going with 17 as well uh, and i, I kind of agree with what you said bobby like maybe 218 had more of like the better fights overall maybe the card overall um but it, for me it wasn't just that you know we got new champions it was that they were unexpected each of them was unexpected i think i picked against all of them in that one i didn't think rose was going to beat joanna i didn't think tj was going to beat cody I can't remember if I thought GSP was going to beat Bisbing. I think I picked Bisbing just because of the size. So it was really just that expectation just being blown out of the water that made 217 even more special than it already was, right? I think with the um, two, uh, I'm sorry, 217, 218, it was a fantastic card. We had great fights, but I kind of figured Max was going to beat Jose Aldo. Um, The Alvarez Gaethje fight, I didn't know. I picked Overeem, but I kind of knew Francis was going to clean his clock. So there wasn't, I mean, my expectations were more met on 218 
they were just blown away in 217. I didn't think these guys would be able to, to grab the belts they did, and they did. And each one was in just fantastic performance. You know, each of those champions that stole the belt had a fantastic performance that night. And I think that really elevated the card. Just besides titles changing hands, each of those um, contenders I didn't think was going to capture the belt, and they each of them did. So that's kind of what put it over the edge for me. You were actually the only one to pick Michael Bisping in that one. I'm a fool. Well, you know what? The rest of us pick Michael, pick GSP, but we got the other two wrong also. Um, so, um, I thought more guys would take 218. But then again, yeah. Three new champions. Um, Marcus, let's go to you here. Um, let's start giving out one of the big ones here. Um, this is for Female Fighter of the Year. What do you got? Uh, yeah, I, I do have to go with Rose. Um, there are some credible people you know, female fighters in here that I think did a lot this year. I think Tisha Torres is a great nominee. Um, who did Amanda Nunes fight this year? I can't remember. Uh, well, he kind of like, uh, it's pretty much whoever's left as a champion. He didn't get nominated for this, but Shevchenko. Okay. It was not terribly exciting. I don't remember if she fought her before that. That might have been the only right. one. I mean, I think when I saw this, it, this was one of those categories. I was like, it's Rose because she beat Joanna Champion, who was, you know, I, we all said for ever since she got the belt, like this girl's the one to beat. I don't know who's going to be able to beat her. And coming into this fight, like we just mentioned with the 217 uh, event breakdown, I didn't think Rose was going to beat Joanna Champion. I really didn't think she had a chance in hell to do it. And she blew my expectations right out of the water, right? I didn't think – I thought if if she was going to win, it was because she somehow found a way to drag Joanna to the ground, which is a Herculean task in and of itself, and was able to get a slick submission on her. I didn't think she'd be able to compete with her on the feet. And for her to get that, I think it was a left hook – twice in that fight the second time finishing the fight with it was just amazing and you know it i don't know how long rose is going to be able to hold on to the belt um i don't know if she'll be able to hold on to it as long as joanna did i I have a tendency to think that she won't be able to but i mean what a performance and it just shows you just how hard it is to hold that belt i mean even when you think the challenger doesn't have a chance like i didn't think rose had much of a chance they can always come out and surprise you and especially with a, a young fighter like that that is consistently getting better we don't know, you know, where the ceiling's at with her yet. She's continuing to grow. So, yeah, I think she deserves a female fighter of the year. Man, I was, like, going to give it. I was so ready. I was okay. Going into the tough finale, I'm like, you know what? Roxanne wins this shit. I'm giving it to Roxanne. She'll be, she'll, like, that'll be it, man. She will have been undefeated on the year. She would have had all those wins on the show. She'd be champion. It would have been great. Roxanne lost. I'm like, all right. Maybe I give it to the new, to the new champion. She lost this year. I'm going, it's Rose. I don't think I'm Mark. You gave enough reasons, Rose. Stefan, what do you got? Um, yeah, it's Rose, but I thought you were encroaching on my territory. I'm the only one who actually watched that tough season. And from the moment I saw her, props to Nico Montano. Like, I liked her. No one knew who the hell she was. She was a 12 seed, and everyone she beat were women that were credible that I knew and, and I'd seen fight. Um, so her run, you know, I, I just feel bad because, like, you know, every, everyone is just waiting for her to get knocked off as the champion. You know, everyone's like, Shevchenko's going to come take it. Paige is going to take it. Name anybody who people have already heard of going to 125. They're certain they're going to take it from Nico. And whether that comes true, it really doesn't matter. She earned where she got. She beat very credible people to get there as an unknown, unheard of, number 12 seed. Um, so I really like Nico Montano and her story. So uh, it's Rose's year just because in terms of subversion of expectations, um yeah she she beat one of the kingpins so that's always that's always going to vault you to the top of any list but um definite respect to nico montano for the year she had 
Um, Mike. Let's be really real here. Back in what was it? In July, I sent you a text, Bobby, saying. Oh, it's on the It's an Amazing Twitter account. When I told you the fight was booked, you said, keep her away from my girl, Rose. <laughs> and I had yeah. never been so happy as to be wrong when it comes to, to Rose Namajunas against uh, Joanna Yunjacek. Not your Dude, they showed, champion. They, they showed Pat Barry crying. I almost started crying. I was like, oh, man. Look how happy Pat is. <laughs> um, I've never been more... It's not very often that I'm genuinely happy um, when good things happen to complete strangers. But I was extremely happy and ecstatic to see Rose win. Um, I think for all of us, we've kind of seen her grow up. You know, I think since even the Invicta days, because I think all of us even knew who she was when um, she got that flying arm bar. And then with that season of tough, you know, she was still, I think, uh, like a young 21-year-old or 22-year-old at the time. And, you know, we, we've seen her really grow up and improve a lot as a fighter. And it was good to see a culmination of all of that this year. And um, much like with Max Holloway, um, if she fights Joanna again next year in the rematch or if she fights someone else, I'm going to be right there. First one to see it. I mean, that's not really going to change much from when, before she was champion, but you knock off the, you know, the first queen of the 115 division, you deserve to be fighter of the year. By the way, this podcast, those of you still listening, God bless you. Um, all right. Um, male fighter of the year. I actually think we're going to be a little bit different on this one. I don't know where everybody else's head is at because um, it's not really – we don't have a clear answer, it seems like. Um, I've seen a couple all over the place, really, on the internet already, people giving awards out. So I'm going to go with mine. Um, Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson broke the record for most consecutive title defenses. And I know not every guy he fought was a damn killer, but he made up to me, to me in another way in that he did not lose – like a second of either of his two fights. And he fought perfectly in both of them. And Wilson Hayes has got like a cut. I think he might have a world championship or some shit. He like, nobody had passed Wilson Hayes' guard and he got tapped out. Um, and then he hit uh, Ray Borg, who's a really good fighter, man. Like these guys are good fighters. You see it in the fights when they go against each other. But he's just on a different level. And he hit Ray Borg with a fucking German suplex into an arm bar. And at the end of it, I'm sitting there like, man, I think Mighty Mouse might be the best guy, the best fighter I've ever seen. Like, that was, that was amazing. So I got Mighty Mouse. Um, Mark, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I think this, this is maybe one of the more competitive categories, um, this year because we do have a few standouts. Um, personally, I, I'm not going with Mighty Mouse, um, because of what you alluded to, Bob. And I think it's kind of the biggest knock on him is just that we're talking about the fighter of the year. And I think a lot of things that, you're giving him a lot of praise for is that something that he's accomplished throughout his career, which is like him beating records and stuff like that. Cause I don't think the guys he fought were real killers, right? They weren't number one and two in the division. He's done that already, right? He's already cleared out those guys. That's why he has to fight guys that are lower ranked to him. So it's nothing against mighty mouse. It's just his opposition wasn't high enough caliber for him to do what he did and make me think that he had the best year. For me, it goes to Bobby Knuckles because I have long said that 185, I think, is a shark tank of killers that the fucking champion is not fighting against. But this guy right here, he fucking did. As far as I'm concerned, 
once Bisbing beat Luke, he vacated the belt because he did not fight top challengers. You know who did? Bobby Knuckles did. You know who beat those guys? Uh, Souza and Romero, two of the top guys in the division, two of the fucking monsters. Bobby Knuckles did. And, uh, you know, I think the closest person for me kind of com competing for, uh, for my nod here was Max Holloway. I think him beating Jose Aldo twice in a year is an incredible feat. But what I liked about Bobby Knuckles is that he fought two very accomplished, skilled fighters that were completely different, right? Uh, Souza is just a master of jiu-jitsu. Romero is just a powerhouse. And he had to show different things in those fights to get those wins. So when I look at all – I mean, GSP – Coming in, taking the belt is fantastic. You know, I think he definitely deserves a lot of credit here. But he had one fight the whole year, right? I mean, he had one. You fight. don't. You don't need a diminish. You don't need to diminish the other nominees. I have to. I have to give you my reason for it. I have to tell you why. You I give, give me a reason for why. Why you think is, but also these aren't even real nominees. It makes so sense, it's Bob. There, it's the same division. It's you're choosing one guy over the other guy in the middleweight division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish what anyone else picks. This is my thought process and why I picked Bobby Knuckles. Looking at what they accomplished over the year with the other competitors, I mean, for me, it was really between Holloway and uh, Bobby Knuckles, and I just had to give it to Bobby because he, he's, he's defending the belt in the division that I think is one of the most competitive that isn't being defended. He, granted, he didn't have the belt, which is weird. You think the guy with the belt would have to fight the guys like Souza and Romero, but. The champion had different fights lined up. He didn't fight those guys. Bobby did. Bobby got those wins. You know, I don't know if he won every minute of every round like uh, Mighty Mouse did, but he beat two of the best guys in the division. I think Bobby Knuckles is the best 185 fighter in the world right now, and I consider that to, that division to be one of the toughest to hold that belt at. So that's why I gave him the nod. You know, I, I think Mighty Mouse had a great year. He always does. He's been demolishing people. I mean, for him, the only thing that's holding him back is something I've always said is just they can't get him to compete against guys I think he's going to have any trouble with. And that kind of diminishes, I think, his accomplishments, right? If he was beating T if he beat TJ and Dominic and got that that title, then pfft, hands down. Not I mean, I think really when you talk about Mighty Mouse in the context of this year, he had a great year. I think really when I think about him, he's more in the annals of greatest of all time and not too much in like this year he accomplished fantastic feats putting down guys that you know are of caliber of, of his own skill uh set so yeah I, I would bobby knuckles i think he had a great year um and i think probably not a lot of people talk about him because he doesn't have that belt he wasn't in high profile events that people really remember but when i looked at what these guys did this year and i saw those two names that he defeated i was like fuck i hold those two guys in really high regard i do jose aldo um and Bisbing, not so much. And Wilson Rays and Ray Borg, just not so much. So it was really the competition that these guys competed against, which is really what put me over. And I think Jose Aldo, twice in a year, is fantastic. Max looked great in those fights. But Bobby had to fight two different guys with different skill sets, and he, he, was, able, he was able to beat them both. So I have to give him the nod. Um, okay. Stefan, what do you got? Um, compelling arguments. I'm not going to follow up with any more analysis because Mark nailed it. Bobby Knuckles. In a way, in, in, in a weird year where he just ended up being the champion due to the vacating by GSP, in a way he, he actually, in all these divisions where they stalled out because people were calling their shots or they were avoiding other guys, Bobby Knuckles, he, he settled this division. This is These were the guys who should have been fighting for the belt. And just to speak specifically to Jacare, he shucked Jacare. 
Shakare could not take him down. You saw his sprawl and brawl. It was it was amazing. And again, this is a guy who, when he moved up from welterweight, we thought it was weird. We thought you're not that big of a welterweight. What are you doing at middleweight? And um, I've just been of, of guys whose hype trains I got behind. I'm happy to see him like really prove it true. Hmm, interesting. Most most of the ones I've seen so far online are Max Holloway. Mar- Mike, what do you got? I'm. Some very compelling arguments for uh, Bobby Knuckles. It, it hadn't even really entered my mind that now, since GSP vacated the title, Bobby Knuckles is now the actual champion. Is he the first Australian champion in UFC history? Yeah, and he got it without beating a champion, which is very weird. And good job, UFC Sale, for ruining that moment. Yeah. But uh, for me, I'm going to go with uh, with DJ. And part of this is going to be more of a uh, career achievement award in a way in that the record he beat was a record of another all-time great, Anderson Silva. And all we can say about the competition he's fighting, he's beating the guys in front of him. And to have defended your title more than anyone else in the history of of the UFC consecutively, that's a big deal. And um, Bobby said it very eloquently, so I won't add much more to it. But my fight of the year is going to be DJ. No picks for Max Holloway. Interesting. All right. Um, and then um, story of the year, Stefan, why don't you lead this off? Because I'm pretty sure you're going to nail it because it kind of is the reason for most of these other ones. Um, to me, the story of the year was uh, essentially where we left off last year. And it was, hey, we have new owners at the end of uh, 2016 going to 2017. What's going to happen And I think right now the story of the year to me is we have a year of evidence and examples of what happened. And, oh, man, unfortunate for me to say it was bad. Um, Real bad. I it sucks to say. And, you know, I've had these conversations with the guys. I have found my general MMA interest waning. I've found it easier to miss an event and not, you know, feel like, oh, man, I couldn't see the fights or I found it easy to be like. I don't need to watch the prelims at all. I can just only watch the main card. You know, we're hardcore fans. We do a podcast out of love for this sport. Yet I found myself becoming increasingly casual because I found the environment to be toxic. Um, The business side of it, they've shown their ineptitude about marketing fighters, marketing ideas, consistency in terms of... Steph, Steph, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Is it for you also, and this is me also, what's happening too with the ramifications of this sale is that I'm less willing to, like, my focus is real narrow now on this sport in that, like, I'm just like, when are the when are the fucking fights that I care about? When are those fights? Like, in my head right now, I know Nganu and Stipe is on January 20th, and I'm sure there's a bunch of shit before that, but whatever. Like, if there's a good main event, okay, we'll catch it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm real narrowed in my focus now. Compared to before, I'm like, it's Saturday. What's the shit the UFC's sending out this week? It'll be great. We used to, yeah. I, I, not, maybe not what you don't totally do, and I don't want to speak for everyone. But, yeah, there used to kind of be a general consensus about, like, it's the entirety of the sport that we love. You know, it's we're willing to watch those. And it, this is just a product of growing up as well and having other things going on in our lives. It's It's harder and harder to give the entirety of a day to a thing. But... Um, you know, it's one of those things you just simply ask yourself, are you better off now than where you were a year ago? And I can't say the sport is, you know, all these 
fighters want to call their own shots. All these divisions are getting delayed. A million pointless interim titles. We let off with a division that it doesn't totally make sense as a division. What are they doing with it? And it's 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 just tough to see the road going forward. So in a way, this is the way the way last year's story of the year to me was about what happens next. It's still kind of the same with this. It's been one year, but what happens next still? And it's just unfortunate to me. The signs look bleak. It's just, I don't know what's going on. The health of the sport seems far worse off now it, than it, where it they are. The, they are the, oh, they don't, I don't think they need a, I think they need to take the responsibility they have more seriously. And it's hard to say that about our American corporation. Um, one of which is currently getting sued by Terry Crews because one of their agents sexually harassed him and then they brought him back. I want to point that out. Um, and they are the stewards of this sport though. They are this sport. As much as we all like, you know, we talked about 1FC or Bellator and all this good shit that's happening. They, This is the sport. The sport is the UFC. And they are not taking that responsibility seriously enough. And maybe it's not even not taking it seriously as much as they're very clearly not looking past the next event. They're looking event to event. And as hyped as I am for Stipe and Nganu, man, Stipe fought, I mean, Nganu fought like three weeks ago. Like, we could probably drag this shit out a little bit, put a proper... Let's hype it up a little bit more. But they're like, no, nah, man, when's the next event? We got to make this next one fucking awesome. Whatever. And then, like, I don't know what UFC 221 is going to be. I don't know if they have anything for that, but I'm sure they'll haphazardly throw some, throw some shit together. And this is – say what you will about the guys, the, the previous guys. And sure, they probably didn't pay the fighters enough. But you know what, man? I at least thought they liked this thing. At least I thought they had vision for the future of the sport. So, yeah, I think you put it well. That's the story of the year. I wrote shit like everybody wants more money and belts mean nothing, but those are the direct consequence of the sale of the UFC. So, I'm with you. Stefan, uh, Mark, what do you got? Yeah, um, I'm kind of with you. You know, when when Bobby compiled the list of, you know, story of the years and we kind of added the, the sale of the UFC and the consequences, yeah, it directly relates into – what kind of became the big story of the year um, because of how they've been running ship. And it's, it's personally really interesting to me because I remember when, um, you know, they bought Zufa bought the UFC and how they were basically, and, and, and really came to fruition when they bought pride. And there was, for me, there's two different ways how they can kind of build the sport. Um, the direction they took it in was looking at it as a sport and not like as a spectacle and putting in rankings and having the titles potentially try to mean something. And the guy that gets the most wins gets the title shot. That's what they were doing for years. And personally, at the time, I wasn't that into it. Because at that time, a lot of guys were having boring fights, just getting W's to get title shots. And it was like, I don't care about Koscheck, you know, getting five fights where he gets a decision to get the, the belt shot. I want the guys that are going out there to get, you know, to get bust some heads. And the guys that are, you know, making me excited for the fights. Now, this year, we kind of got more of that spectacle where Shing is like, okay, we're just throwing the fights that we think are going to make a lot of money. And that's how we're running the show. And what I learned is like that doesn't make for a compelling long-term product, right? It's these short little bursts of, uh, you know, attention and excitement we get that fizzle out too quickly because they don't have ramifications. And because you were not built into this hierarchy of this is everyone's gunning for the title. Here's your ranking. When you beat this guy, your ranking goes up and you're eventually going to get that title shot. When you have your Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor, it's like, oh, these two guys don't fight in this division and we're just doing this for giggles and because we know you guys want to see it. It kind of devaluates the divisions that they're fighting in and it kind of devaluates those fighters because we almost see them as outsiders to the kind of ranking system, right? So I think the UFC has made a lot of questionable decisions this year. But at least what I hope for is 
they see kind of what we talked about on this year end, right? Like, like Bobby mentioned, this fourth quarter was really good. They had really compelling fights that lived up to the billing. And honestly, like I enjoyed watching those pay-per-views a lot more. So I hope that the UFC understands that, you know what, we've built this whole infrastructure of building up these fighters to ultimately get title shots. And the title is the thing they're all fighting for. The narrative has gotten extremely muddy this year that everyone's just fighting for a big paycheck, regardless if it's advancing their career to the title or not. And hopefully the UFC is seeing like, yeah, we get these big flashes in the pan every now and then, but we are getting consistently better numbers by following the hierarchy that we built over these years that we've cultivated, you know, for so many years, building these ranking systems, having all these shows talking about how guys are climbing the rankings and how they're going to match up and who they're going to match up with next. When you kind of throw that out and it's like, Oh, I'm going to jump up to this division and fight this guy. And it just, it muddles the whole thing. And I think, they tried some interesting stuff this year and a lot of it just didn't land it honestly this year, because I think McGregor being out kind of just really dampened the whole first half of the year. And uh, hopefully they learn from it. Hopefully, man, they went, they went all in to try to sell this thing. It looks like they loaded up the end of last year and then these other guys couldn't pay anybody to make them fight again. Yeah. Everybody saw the I mean, budget. So, I mean, Let's be honest. People saw, people saw a dollar figure and then they realized this shit's worth way more than what they're getting. Yeah. And I think that is a really important part. And I think the fighter is now everyone's just gunning like, We've seen so many of this in there to now. It's like, yeah, I'll fight when they pay me what I'm worth. And these guys, they do need to get paid more. So the UFC does have to budge. It's just, this is another ramification of, you know, as much as we might have not liked the Fertitas because they weren't paying the guys as much and they weren't giving them a lot of power. We're kind of seeing why, right? When you give Conor McGregor a lot of power to go promote his own thing, he's going to start promoting his own thing. That doesn't have much to do with you. And now we might potentially have lost him, right? Because the UFC is not going to be able to pay him. Well, okay. They could pay him $10 million to, to show up and fight. They're not going to. The only way he'll get that figure is I feel like they negotiate. We're going to give you a bigger cut of the pay-per-view buys. I think because I don't know if they're going to want. I mean, that's what he wants, man. That's what he wants. And it's like, this is where we're at. And this is what they, this is the thing. This is when you don't look for too far ahead. And look, Mayweather McGregor was cool that they made that shit happen, but there's consequences. And I'm looking at Cyborg saying she wants to go fight, go box. And I'm like, man, what's wrong? She wants to do it. You let this other dude do it. Why can't she do it? Oh, that was a special occasion. Fuck you. You know, like this is what they've done. Um, We're at an hour and 35 minutes. Let's keep going though. Mike, I mean, I, I'm, are you with us or you got something else here? <laughs> well, when I actually saw you guys added that, I I put in a parenthesis a story one and two uh, stem from this one, uh, but then I deleted that because I thought it was kind of douchey to put that in there. But I mean, I kind of said it was too. I realized that when I'm like Stefan told Stefan mentioned this like on Saturday, I think Stefan you told me that you're like this was what it was, right? And I'm like, yep, yeah, that was what the other ones are about. So yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, because of that reason, um, even though the sale happened in 2016, we're still feeling the ramifications for it um, very, very heavy. And I think we'll be feeling it for the next, in, in 2018, for most of it as well. Um, I think you guys might be more optimistic and hopeful than, than I am when it comes to the thought process and business plan of the UFC. Uh, the last quarter... Optimistic. Yeah. Optimism. What, optim what, what optimism did you hear, man? <laughs> well, I think you guys might be a little assuaged and feeling a bit more hopeful just based on how the last quarter went. But I'm just thinking this is one of those slight little upswings. I don't think they've learned their lesson. Um, 
I think this is going to be a rough year for the UFC in 2018. And you can still go back to the sale of $4.1 billion. Or $4.2, I'm sorry. I don't want to shortchange them any money. Yeah, they got an extra hundred million, hundred grand there, man. What are you? Um, or four hundred million there? What are you, man? What are you talking about? In twenty seventeen, <laughs> we heard a lot more people say the belts really don't matter. We heard a lot more people realize that. Hey, Mike, do you think Dana White still Dana is still Dana White this time next year? I think he is, but I think that Dana White doesn't exactly Will have given have up entirely. Same, he doesn't have the same type of boss as he had two years ago. Me, his best friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, I just, you know, the, the quote large, the quote Joe Rogan said this one time, and it kind of like he says, man, before the for, before Zufa bought the UFC, I used to watch sit around, you know, the fight fans would be like, man, you know what this sport needs? This sport needs some crazy billionaire to buy the UFC and sink a whole bunch of money on into it just because they love the sport. And then he's like, and then that happened, which it kind of did. So you know what? They weren't great, Bobby. You, you, but fuck, you there this. was a key caveat that's absolutely correct. That loves the sport. That loves the sport was the key. Case. No, he's th- no. I, he's talking about Lorenzo loving the sport. Oh, so that's okay. what he meant. He was talking about when they bought it. Oh, so yeah, so no, bad. we got that this time. We got some company to buy it. Who they fist bump each other when Mark Hunt gets gets a concussion. We all saw that shit. And you know, and, um, and the difference between a crazy billionaire with deep pockets owning something, and a deep pocketed corporation is that the crazy individual. You know, it's a passion project for them. They're going to be a lot more deeply invested in it just as a product. Whereas the company, you know, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast and probably a lot of different other podcasts, they're worried about the bottom line. And yep, that's still going to be the thought process and the business model for them going forward this year. So this very well could be a nominee for a story of the year at this time in 2019 as well. Um. All right. Let's do um. Memoirs of a Fight Fan, and then we're gonna stuff we like might just be a quick thing about everybody watch Wrestle Kingdom because fuck me, we're at like an hour and forty. Um, Memoirs of a Fight Fan. Um, what was our category, gentlemen? Uh, first impressions. Yes. What was our uh fight or that notable first impression? I guess of any fighter. Um, doesn't matter how long they've been fighting, just when you first saw them and it stuck with you. Um. I'm going to do something different than what I actually said I was going to do because it struck me when we were talking earlier. Um, Conor McGregor, before he fought uh, Marcus Brimage, went on the MMA hour and talked about not having a pot to piss in and was eating, talking about he can only the only thing he had to eat were these grapes he had, and that was it. And then he went out there and murked one of our favorite fighters. Like, we all love Marcus Brimage. Uh, part of that's because he's was very good to us back when he was in the UFC and, you know, retweeted some of our stuff and responded to us on Twitter. And he was a good dude in general. And Connor went out there, and I don't know if Marcus landed anything. And he was getting hit with, like, four-punch combinations, and then he was just dead on the floor. And I was like, holy shit. This Irish kid's really, like, his hands are incredible. You know, obviously Marcus isn't amazing, but I, I did that fight, though. I remember thinking, like, holy, this guy's amazing. That was so cool. I mean, so, I just yeah, got to con- contribute to that. Connor McGregor made me feel bad about liking Dragon Ball Z. That's how bad. Oh, God, that was so mean. Is like, Marcus Brimage, we liked him. He, he loves DVZ. He came out with a scouter on. And Conor McGregor was that bully in school who calls you a nerd, who calls you a weeb, like all these things. Hey, what do you say? Like, he's, a, like, he's, a, he's like, he's like, you're a grown man. Why do you have that on your... I can't do an accent, but like, grown man has that thing on his head. What's wrong with him? I'm like, oh, Jesus. He just made me feel bad about it. So, I mean, that was, that was one of my takeaways from that fight, first fight. 
I'm just thinking that I have like a Joker piggy bank in my bedroom right now. Um, Stefan, what do you got? Um, for me, it was kind of one of my immediate inspirations. There's a lot of ways I can go with it. Um, but just because of my my love indoors for the man, um, you know, it's 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 it was my first WEC event. It's I, I make I'm that guy who makes the argument that the WEC is the greatest MMA promotion that ever existed. Um, and it was my good pal and podcast uh, participant. Mark, who took me to this show up in Sacramento. But, um, you know, so this was real personal. This is before internet hype. This is before podcast hype. This is just Mark telling me about, hey, you're going to be excited to see this Korean guy. He's got a great nickname. He's called him the Korean zombie. And I'm like, well, that sounds awesome. I'm already on board. And then he comes out to the cranberry zombie. And, you know, I've mentioned in terms of walkouts, how much that means to me. And like, oh, there's just a perfect song that perfectly fits a fighter. And just a band I loved from the 90s. Like that, that whole album is fantastic. And what was the first fight I saw? It was the robbery, but still one of the all-time greatest, like just pure brawls against Leonard Garcia. You know, um, I bought the shirt, the shirt that doesn't that didn't pay him, but I still wear it proudly because that's the original Korean zombie shirt. It's just, you know, this guy disappeared for his military thing, and I just couldn't wait to have him back. You know, I'm super bummed that he he got injured again and it's just delaying his activity. He's a guy I just absolutely love to watch, would pay for on any card with no qualms. You can put him with a bunch of schmucks and I'm going to be interested in seeing that event because he's on it. And yeah, from the that, that was a real love at first sight with a uh, MMA fighter and endures uh, to this day. Uh, Marcus, what do you got, brother? Yeah, um there could be a million different ones I could pick. And I guess I'll just say that one of the first ones that popped in, cause I'm obviously always thinking about like when I was first really getting back into the sport, um, back in the pride days. And I think one of the ones that really stuck out with me was, uh, Heath Herring. His first fight in pride. Wasn't really anything to write home about. That one didn't really stick with me. It was really when he fought Tom Erickson, who at the time was, he was only not only considered to be one of the best heavyweights. He was the, he was, potentially i guess you know this guy that everyone was dodging no one wanted to fight this guy he was so big and he's so good at wrestling and the dude knew how to box too no one wanted to fight tom erickson and heath herring took the fight and he developed this um this kind of scenario that played in a couple's fights when he fought wrestlers where he'd get taken down the guys would hold him down he'd be trying to be active off his back and he's just yelling at the ref like stand us up man this guy's not doing shit and when he stands them up, Heath just gets so jazzed. He's so amped to just throw some shit at this guy. He did it to Tom Erickson. He did it to Mark Kerr. He just blasts them with a huge high kick. It rocks them. He finishes them with knees. It was just like, man, this is the next evolution of, you know, kind of the American wrestler archetype where they're like, this guy knows how to strike too. This guy knows how to wrestle. He knows how to use all of his um, abilities in there, you know, in, in the pride uh ring where you had a lot more tools to to use especially use uh, knees on the ground um to great effect but yeah there's so many guys that i first see them and it's just like whoa like this guy's changing the game and i think connor's a great mention of that too we all liked marcus brimage and this guy just smoked him and he can and in in that case he he consistently surprised us with just how well he was and you know some of the other guys that left marks like keith herring you know they, they didn't stick around as long you know they're they're careers overall were a little spotty but yeah that he definitely left an impression when i first saw him fight mike you know for me the moments that really stick out are the moments when you're really embarrassed by something you say or you know um an action and for me it was uh 
one of the first weeks I think I was back from uh, from school. Um, I was over at my friend uh, Peterson, Rudy, and Claudio's house, and I had convinced them to watch a UFC event where MMA favorite, uh, it's an amazing favorite, Nate Diaz was fighting. And I'm hyping these guys up on Nate Diaz. Like one time Bobby was hyping Damien Maya up to me. I'm telling them this guy is the next best thing from sliced bread. He's a bad mother effer. You know, like he just whoops dudes asses. I think he had just been coming off the Marcus Davis fight. Maybe. And, uh, you know, like he's fighting some, some, some Irish sounding guy. And I'm like, ah, oh, he's going to whoop this guy. Who is this guy? And then Roy McDonald proceeds to just throw him around the ring for 15 minutes. And the whole time, my boy Peterson is just looking at me like, so this guy Nate Diaz is good, huh? This dude looks like he's trash. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. So for me, uh, a very memorable first impression was the first time I laid eyes on Roy McDonald. Dude, I remember that because like, I was in – I was on vacation with my parents in Paris, and like the way it worked out with the time difference, like that card was like starting at midnight ish or, or a little bit after New Year's Day or something. I don't know how it worked out. Where like I was awake either way, and I was watching Nate get tossed in the air like he was a bag of just <laughs> rice getting thrown in the air. Like, and then my little brother's half awake watching this with me. Like, yo, Nate's getting killed. I'm like, yeah, Nate's getting killed. <laughs> that was rough. Um, all right, guys. Um. We promised you guys a Wrestle Kingdom preview, and we're going to do that real quickly. Does anybody want to say anything for stuff we like, or are you guys cool holding on to that? And we just knocked this preview out pretty quickly. I think we're good. Because we're at an hour 45. Yeah, I can hold on. We're at an hour 45. Yeah, okay. Um, Wrestle Kingdom 12. And Mike, if you don't care, fake it a little bit here. Um, Wrestle Kingdom 12 is coming to you guys technically at, like, I think, Mark, we when we figure out this shit's going down, like, at... Three in the morning or two in the morning on a Wednesday something night. Like that. so it's, like, it's like late night. Yeah. It might even be like 11 or something. Whatever. You got access TV. It's on Saturday. This is the Japanese version of WrestleMania uh, put together by New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, happening at the Tokyo Dome. Um, one of the most famous venues on the whole goddamn planet. Especially in MMA and pro wrestling, quite frankly. Um, pro wrestling in Japan. Just give you guys a little bit of a back. Why this is exciting for a lot of us is that while we're none of us are big New Japan guys, we all are. We like the Japanese style of wrestling. For its entertainment, they fight a more, they do a more strong style, if you will. And quite frankly, the guys take a lot more damage. Um, it's a lot stiffer style. Guys are getting dumped on their head a lot. The long-term consequences of this style, horrible, but more entertaining, quite frankly. Um, and this year, catching more attention than ever is because of, uh, Chris Jericho, which if anybody knows anything about pro wrestling, you've heard the name Chris Jericho, Y2J. Lionheart, um, Walls of Jericho, all that jazz. You're probably wondering, man, Jericho was wrestling when I was a kid. He's still wrestling? Yeah, man. Jericho's still wrestling and he's still over because Jericho is, can get anything over. Um, I guess the best way of doing this is just throwing some of the big, I don't know, I mean, what do you, how do you guys want me to do this? Just start going through some of the fights and watch some of the matches and why they're interesting? <laughs> I know the main event, Bob. I, that's all I got. <laughs> All right, I did some research here. Mark, you got anything or try to start talking? Uh, you guys I mean, it's kind of tough because, I mean, I, I know personally maybe you, me, uh, uh, me and Bob maybe know a little bit and, and Stefan to a certain degree. But, like, even I haven't been keeping – like, we talk about – Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the, the, I watched his preview on the New Japan's and YouTube channel. Why Osa- I'm ready to go. The, the main champion, Os- uh, Osaka? No. Kazuchika, Kazuchika Okada? I can't Okada, say his first yeah. name, but and it's then, Okada. I mean, yeah. I kind of know some of the players, but – 
I mean, I, I think why it's kind of interesting this year is that I think New Japan is getting a lot more eyes because a lot of the talent that used to be over there is now filtering into WWE. And they're bringing over that. I mean, they call it strong style. There's another name. It's like Parushu. It's a style of Parushu. Or something. Yeah. And, and, and why I've always been more drawn to it, even though I don't follow it super closely, is that it, it mimics real fights a lot more. These guys use more like round kicks to the chest and low kicks and, you know, submissions that you see in MMA, like traditional arm bars instead of just headlocks and stuff like that. They try to mirror an actual fight while also doing big suplexes and stuff like that. And I think in the last couple of years, their product and the matches they've had have been really good. And it's kind of caught fire in the U S and I know it has because these guys are on raw now and they're on the Royal rumble and stuff like that. So they're getting a lot more attention. And now people are starting to realize like, Oh, where did all these guys come from? Like, is there, there's another organization that just caters to this kind of style and stuff. And that's new Japan. Uh, Marcus, I saw that video. You told me about, well, I saw one of the videos, Martin, new Japan's not for kids. Oh yeah. Those are great. I saw I saw one of those great. Okay, just I'm gonna go through a couple of these why they would matter to you. Um Okada versus NATO, um, which is the main event for their heavyweight championship. Okada is a god in Japan, basically. And NATO is maybe the most compelling heel they have, and he's actually Japanese in a heel, which is better because a lot of times this kind of just make the Americans or the foreigners bad guys. They're gonna go down, they're gonna go for the heavyweight title. Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. Kenny Omega is arguably the best wrestler in the world, not named AJ Styles. And when I'm saying best, I'm saying in terms of entertainment value is really what we're talking about, the quality of his performances. And Chris Jericho can get anything over. And Chris Jericho has got people excited for this matchup, even though we all go into it knowing that it's probably not going to be as maybe as high-flying as most of Kenny's normal matches or as hard-hitting because Chris Jericho is, after all, I want to say 45. That's my guess. That's... I will probably look that up at some point. But that's going to be just a lot of fun. Um, Tanahashi's on this card. Tanahashi's basically the Japanese version of Hogan. Just a super baby face. They love him over there. A um, couple other people. You got the Bullet Club riddled throughout this. Uh, Marty Scrolls on the card, the villain. He kind of dresses like the Penguin from Batman. Comes out with an umbrella. The look on Mark's face right now it makes me think he's going to Google Marty Scroll after this. Because he has a very good getup. Um, he's in there against Will Ospreay, who... Motherfucker can just fly. Just an incredible, credible aerial artist. Um, Davy Boy Smith Jr. is on this uh, on this card, um, which he's the son of the British Bulldog. That's just kind of cool to see. Um, and uh, Kota Ibushi, which a lot of you, if you guys watch WWE at all, might recognize from the um, Cruiserweight Classic. Steph, I believe Kota Ibushi was one of your favorites watching that, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, yeah. Kota Ibushi is, um, I mean, he's one of those guys who just... You mentioned people like uh, AJ Styles and um, Kenny Omega. Kota Ibushi is a guy who just can't not have five-star matches. He brings the yeah. best out of guys. His match, I think he had a match versus, again, currently WWE superstar Shinsuke Nakamura. They had a great New Japan match. Um, yeah. He's a small dude who's jacked as hell, and he loves power bombs, but he's pretty athletic in his own right. Um, it's you know if you, if you just appreciate the athleticism of pro wrestling – get over the fact that it's like a scripted outcome like i, I just want to chat chat yeah. in it's a the uh the wrestling is fake meme is dumb for the fact that like probably 98 percent of everything you watch is fake if you want to talk about it um but yeah do, Kota, but do you know what's not do you know what's nice stuff because all these like mma fans are biting hook line and sinker for all this shit talk these days right and these are just poor poor out poor poor derivatives of what we watched when we were younger, right? Like, this is just shitty 
promos. These guys are all cutting, and people are eating it up like a bunch of marks. And then they say pro wrestling's fake, right? More or less. I, I just don't understand the embarrassment. Like, you can appreciate, like, pro wrestling while understanding what it is. I like superhero yeah. movies. No one's flying when I look outside yet. And, like, I mean, you got – um, and also you got Kota Bushi's on there taking on Cody Rhodes, who's really just had a hell of a run since leaving the WWF voluntarily. Um, the son of Dusty Rhodes, brother of uh, Goldust. Um, Bullet Club on there, Bad, Bad Luck Fale, Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa. Defending their six-man championship, which I just like that they have a six-man championship in Japan. That's awesome. And then um, a team with one of my favorite names ever, Rapongi 3K. Um, they're going to be defending their junior champion tag team championships against um, the greatest tag team in the world, uh, the Young Bucks. Um, greatest tag team in the world, who's also never, never worked, never really worked for the WWE, short of like a tryout match they did like 15 years ago. Young Bucks, best tag team in the world. And they look like they're opening this goddamn show. So the Bucks of youth are going to go out there. Overall, it's not going to be bad. This is basically, you know, with New Japan. You're not going to walk out of this and think, oh, man, there was no good matches. That's the advantage of watching pro wrestling, if you can get into it, is that they're going to make the match good. And especially the way the Japanese do it. So I am really excited to watch this. If you have Access TV, uh, Marcus, I think we figured out they're airing this. It looks like 5 o'clock or so Pacific on Saturday. Um, which is, I think, how we're going to watch it because we all need to sleep Too hard to and we have jobs. Survive. I mean, And you know what's nice about pro wrestling? If I, even if I, if I find out one of the results, I'm okay. It's good. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I It'll be good still. For that. that won't be too big an issue. But yeah, I mean, I mean for, that for the people listening that might not really be all that interested, I'd probably just recommend, if you have any inkling of checking this out and just saying, like, is this something that I might enjoy watching? Um, Bobby, who, who did Kenny Omega fight in the sixth star? It was the champion... Oh yeah, they fought three times. It was against Okada. Okada. The first one, a lot of people like the first one the most. Right, I think the, they fought three times in a year. The whole thing was some amazing. of the best fights, and they they are on YouTube. So I mean, if you have any interest, I would watch those fights because that's kind of the the best of the best, right? Like if 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 that fight doesn't get you interested in the product, then nothing will, and this is something that you can just skip. But if you're at all interested, and what I, what I would say about what the selling point of New Japan is over maybe what WWE is, is that. A lot of the appeal of watching that is for the match itself. You're not going to get promos that, like Bobby said, are going to be like as entertaining as what we're now seeing in MMA because they're stealing old pro wrestling bits, or even what you might see in current day WWE, where they have kind of unique bits with you know like New Day and stuff like that. I, the organization really doesn't fall on that. What it falls on is storytelling within the match itself. So watch that Kenny Omega fight. And if you're not compelled by the story that these two athletes are putting on there, then it's just not for you. And that's totally fine. You know, wrestling is not going to yeah. be for everyone, especially if you're an MMA fan. You know, knowing that, you know, the moves aren't performed to really viciously hurt your opponent, but to look flashly and to give the appearance of damage being done. It just might not be for you, which is totally fine and completely acceptable. But if pro wrestling and just the act of wrestling in and of itself and just holds and maneuvers and stuff like that is something that you might be kind of interested, check out that Kenny Omega fight. And if that doesn't get you interested, then nothing will. Don't bother, you know, watching Wrestle Kingdom for eight hours and just being upset the whole time that this isn't the yeah. product you want. Let's put it out there also. We don't recommend watching any Japanese card live ever. Because there's gonna be an intermission. Oh, it's it's, it's gonna take a long time, man. You know, yeah. It's gonna take a long time, guys. It's not they're not knocking this out in three hours. So yeah, I just want to um, set expectations for potential viewers that might be interested. Check that out, and then you know if that's if you watch that and it might you know 
see if that steam balls for it. Cause that's kind of what it did for me. I watched that fight. And I was like, man, I got to see their second fight. I want to see some other fights these guys did because it was so entertaining. The story that they tell within the, in the ring itself is, is, you know, compelling and it's interesting. It's something that it could well be worth your time. Even if it doesn't seem like it's something that you might. I mean, it's, it's really the result of going after a different market. So that's what it is. You know, it's less kid shit. So yeah, Mike, did we do anything to convince you even a little bit? Is it free? If you have access TV, it's free. Also, if you have the internet, let's be honest, everything's free. All right. If you guys send me a link, maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't care that much if you watch it. Mike, you love Japan. Uh, Do it for Japan. Yeah. Well, we need you to translate. I'm not a huge fan Yo, of wrestling. I... That's totally fine. It's totally um, fine. That's fair, actually. <laughs> um. All right, kids. Um. That was a long fucking show. That was a long, long fucking show. Um. Thank you all for listening. Um, I got to edit this thing. Um, I got to go to work tomorrow. God damn it. I'm just complaining now, guys. Thank you all for listening. It's the end of 2017. We didn't get a chance to say it. Um, so just thank you all for listening. Um, we're going to try to do this again all this year. Maybe this is the year we get 52 episodes in 52 weeks. Um, I'm going to over, I'm going overseas again. So I'm already saying it's probably not happening. So let's be honest. Um, we're going to do our best. Maybe we'll do a sneak. Maybe something, something so big will happen. On like a Thursday, like we're gonna have to do a show on a Thursday or something. We're real. We're gonna know. We're gonna know. These people need to hear Stefan and mine and Mark's and Mike's hot takes. Donald our takes Glover plays young Lando Calrissian. Well, it's not news. I know that's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I, what, what do you mean? What do you, we need to talk, to, I want to talk about it one way or another. Maybe um, we can work around the overseas trips and, and get some episodes out there. We'll do it eventually, guys. And uh, for as long as SoundCloud still exists as a company, we have a strong support. We have a strong host of our podcast. And when they go away, we're going to find a solution somehow. Um, all right, guys. Um, that's me telling you guys SoundCloud's not long for this world. Plan accordingly. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, check out Wrestle Kingdom 12 if you are so inclined. If not... Hey, man, you know, enjoy your weekend. Um, short week this week. We'll be back next week where I think there's a card next Saturday. And my intent was not to start the music that early. Sorry, guys. Um, There is a card next Saturday, yeah, right? I think it's Someone look Choi, real quickly. Choi and somebody. Oh, uh, Jeremy Stevens, right? Is that the, is that really the only thing worth a damn on it? I, that's the only thing I know that's on it. There could be undercard. That's let me let me, let me just real quickly. Uh, Stevens and Choi. I think Uriah Hall, Vitor Belfort. I think it was decent. Right? Uh, you know what? Not bad. Kamara Usman's on there against Emil Mack, Darren Elkins, Michael Johnson. Starting strong. This isn't bad, man. We, got, we might be picking this thing. This looks pretty good. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening, as I mentioned. And peace out. See you.